Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 178. Uh, we are recording this on Sunday, June 12th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We got Todd. We got Zach. How is it going, everybody? Oh, it's phenomenal out here where it's 100 degrees and miserable. Oh. We've had, we've had uh, six tornadoes in the last week, including two yesterday. That was pretty exciting. Well, right now it is uh, cloudy and 55 here. So, uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one I'd rather have threat of tornadoes, but actual feeling like summer or still thinking it's February. I, you know, I, I would, uh, I would be okay with February right now. You know, I was, I was watching, rewatching Funny People this week because we're going to review an Adam Sandler movie and it's on Hulu. Great movie. I, I know Todd's a fan. Uh, but I did not realize that there's a scene in the movie when Adam Sandler confronts his sister and uh, basically says, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't have been a better brother. I, could, I, was, I was not willing to fly out to Kansas, which is where you lived, apparently. And uh, I respect <laughs> that line. That, that is an amazing line. It is. It is. Uh, well, Zach, this week I, I joined you in, uh, in summer vacation has, has commenced. So... Uh, Excellent. Yeah, and I I just hope there hasn't been a lot of sobriety. Well, I haven't I haven't had a, really a lot of time yet to to partake in that part of it. Well, I'm looking forward to your report about what you're drinking. You know, did you make a did you make a trip out to the brewery? Oh well, let's get into that. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Should I start then? Since you're asking, I me? think so. Yeah. Okay. So I yes, I made a trip out to the brewery. Shout out to Ridge Walker. Uh, and I had to because uh, this weekend they had a brand new brew come out, um, and this is the uh, this is the Dino IPA. There we go. It, it's guess what kind guess what kind guess what kind of IPA it is. Just take a guess. It's an amber. Oh, I was going to say something that's been done a million times and no one's interested in. Well, it does. It did say on there it's uh, it's sixty five million years in the making or whatever it is. So. There we uh, go. It, Not sixty-five million minutes long. No, no. Okay. Yeah, it's an. It's of course it's an amber IPA, and I haven't actually tasted it yet. Let me. Mm. Yeah, it's good. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Nice and rich. So that's what I got. Todd, what do you have? Uh, I'm drinking the Jasper James American Sour Mash Whiskey, aged four years. Not. You know, 65 million. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Nice. Nice. Zach? I'm having some cheap uh, <laughs> a Cote du Rhone from Trader Joe's. Under $10 in French. Need I say more? You can, can't go wrong with the, with Trader Joe's for sure. Absolutely not. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, let's see here. We are going to start today with, let's start with Zach. Zach, what'd you watch this week? Okay. So I went to the theaters this week and I watched a new movie 
that I had seen trailers for many times, um, but I don't know if it's had a huge release necessarily. It is a movie called Watcher. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It is uh, a thriller directed by Chloe Ukuno, and it stars, uh, I guess you could say, kind of like uh, Scream Girl legend, uh, Micah Monroe. She was in um, It Follows. She was the main actress in that. Mm. And uh, this is a movie where she plays Julia, who uh, is a young woman. She's married to Francis, played by Carl Glusman. And at the beginning of the movie, they've just moved to Romania, where he uh, has accepted a job. He's half Romanian, half American, and speaks Romanian. She does not speak any Romanian, and she feels very uh, alienated and secluded in this apartment as he goes off to work. It's a little bit like Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation, a little bit of vibes there. Um, but then she kind of stumbles across this guy across the way who stares into her apartment all day. And the movie kind of turns into the whole, uh, well, um, everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'm actually not. This guy is staring at me and he's starting to stalk me. And there's been reports that there's this kind of murderer on the loose who's been killing and abducting women in the neighborhood. She's a stranger in a strange land. No one really understands her. They kind of resent her for being American. And uh, gradually, her husband kind of starts siding with the naysayers and the skeptics because he's kind of sick of her. Um, this movie is very much built on like slow burn suspense. Uh, it is a thriller. It definitely has some chilling moments, but it's not a particularly violent movie. It doesn't really have a lot of jump scares. It's all just about the psychological heft that this young woman goes through. Um, like I said, as a stranger in a world where no one really believes her, um, and yet she knows the truth. Um, I got to say, I was a little bit hesitant going into this movie. I thought it kind of, it's, it's IFC Midnight, so sometimes those movies can be hit or miss. They're kind of sometimes schlocky exploitation. But I got to say, this movie was really suspenseful, very interesting, got better as it went along. And I think Micah Monroe is a really great actor. She's fantastic in this movie. You really side with her. You get the mood of like a, you know, uh, I would say a, a 60s Polanski movie. There's a little bit of like Belle du Jour re repulsion in there. I guess that's Louis Bunuel. Um, But I got to say, I really dug this movie. And I also got to say that it was a very unsettling movie watching it. Like I said, there's not a lot of violence or jump scares, but it's like a not very comfortable watch. And I commend the director for having this mood of psychological dread and surprise. And I'm giving this movie a high three and a half stars. It might even make my top 10 list at the end of the year. I thought it was fantastic right alongside of um, it follows in that kind of psychological horror, slow burn suspense more so than blood and guts. And uh, I would highly recommend this movie. It's awesome. It almost sounds a little invisible man ish too. Yeah, a little bit. I think it's actually better than Invisible Man because it's a lot more centered on kind of what the what the character is is going through, kind of average everyday events, how going to places like the grocery store can be a, a source of real dread for her, which I think is, is really cool. And I like how the director uh, frames that. Have either of you seen the trailer for this movie or heard about it? No. It was a Sundance movie, right? Uh, I believe so. <clears throat> Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of votes on... It only has 900 <coughs> votes right now on IMDb. I hope it gets a bigger release. I saw it at my AMC. I think AMC has been really pushing it. But uh, I've seen Midnight put it out. But it's a really awesome movie. And I, I encourage everybody to check it out. Really, really well done. Very nice, very nice. All right. Todd, what did you watch? Uh, I watched the new movie. It actually came out last week. Uh, it was called Fire Island. Directed by oh, Andrew yeah. Uh It's about a group of gay best friends who go on their yearly uh, party trip to Fire Island, which is this gay resort outside of Long Island. 
and they're there basically just like party drink and it's kind of like a spring break for like gay dudes and they get there and their host lady says like you know she's selling the place this is gonna be the last time they're able to stay there and they come across this other group of guys that they kind of get in with uh when they're at tea and um uh, they're like this crazy rich group of guys who host like giant orgy, orgies at the pad and stuff like that. Well, uh, one of the guys in the main group is played by Bowen Yang from Saturday Night Live, and he's like sort of virgin. And uh, the main guy is played by Joel Kim Booster, who's also the writer of this movie. And he's like the stud of the group. And in a very Miles and Jack way, he's like, okay, I'm not going to like pursue any guy until I get you late on this trip. And um then, uh, you know, the movie settles into this sort of, like, really charming romantic comedy thing. Apparently, it's loosely based on Pride and Prejudice. Um, Andrew Ahn's other movies were Spa Night, which was a really dark and depressing indie movie. And then he made Driveways, which was more traditional and almost got Brian Dennehy's posthumous Oscar nomination. This is more of, like, a broad comedy. Uh, the But the, the ensemble cast is, like, really good and, like, really believable. I could see it being in my top five ensemble cast at the end of the year. Uh, it's... Um, is a bit goofy, but the the actors aren't portraying caricatures at all. Like they, they feel pretty real. There's a lot of horniness in the movie, but it's not like, but it's, but it's sweet and how predictable it is. It's almost like Zach and Mary make a porno in that like in that way, but not as sleazy. Um, there's some melodramatic stuff in there. Uh, there's like these party animals who are like faced with reality and like in some cases love. They're like this immature group of guys who are like forced to grow up and uh it was originally supposed to be a tv show apparently and i could see that there's a lot of characters and a lot of things that are unexplained that i, I could see it ha- uh, lasting a lot longer than the actual runtime of the movie it's good i think it's uh, andrew's best film yet i'm i'm not i haven't really loved any of his movies but he has a lot of talent and a unique uh style while also having versatility i think he's going to get an oscar nomination in the next 10 years it, this is streaming on hulu right now and uh i'm giving it three stars Nice. I have not seen that, but my wife has, and she loved it too. And uh, she's she said she loved that. Uh, basically, she told me Bowen Yang is kind of playing himself, and he references his own SNL sketches during the movie. Yeah, that would that explains some things. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a couple of his things on SNL, but I'm not that familiar with them. He's 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 hilarious. He really is. Yeah, I want to see that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. I want to watch it too. I like ha- I like the idea of adapting uh, Jane Austen for modern times. I mean, that's what you know Amy Heckerling did with Clueless. I think it, it's just a nice sort of universal formula, and uh, I really like Driveways. I, I thought you know Brian Dennehy he should have been nominated for an Oscar, um, but I would agree with you. Drew on seems like someone who will probably know a lot more of in the next ten years or so. Yeah. All right. Cool. As soon as he gets a Marvel movie, right? Oh, that's yeah exactly. <laughs> that's totally gonna happen too <laughs> all right so on to what i watched this week uh first i want to say i i made uh round two to the theater to watch top gun maverick and uh went, went with nice. a group of guys so uh so shout out to to ben and travis and ej and and dan and matthew and all the other people i actually knew that were in the screen it was kind of weird but uh but yeah, no, we all went and uh, and loved it. It's it kind of got better the second time around. So I don't wow. know. How is that possible? I know, I know, <laughs> it got better, and I, I think I might even see it again in theater this week again because my wife still hasn't seen it and she has to. And so, you're uh, off work. <laughs> and and it it's it's started summer. Exactly. I've got I've got meetings in uh, a couple days this week, and then I'm done. So uh, yeah, but anyways, my Oscar anniversary watch this week goes back 20 years. 
And uh, this is a movie that was nominated for six Oscars and won two. Kind of a bigger blind spot for me. Ten or twenty years ago. Twenty. Two thousand two. Okay. Nominated for six, one, two. The hours? Not the hours. I'd seen that one. What did you say, Zach? No, I was going to guess Gangs of New York, but that's not it. Um, Ten nominations. It only had it only had one uh, above the line nomination. Frida. Frida. Ah. Yes, it won uh, original score and makeup, and then was nominated for actress. And that was the one above the line art direction, costume design and song. So, yeah, Frida is uh, it stars Selma Hayek as Frida Kahlo. It's directed by Julie Taymor uh, and kind of works works through her life and different experiences she had. I didn't really know a whole lot about Frida Kahlo going into the movie. Uh, so it was it was kind of fascinating to see the twists and turns her uh, her life had and kind of the crazy life that she led. It has a lot of really um random little cameos and one scene like one-off scenes from notable people um the the co-star in it is alfred molina playing diego rivera who is her husband uh but you have a a short part from jeffrey rush diego luna uh valerina valeria galino who's always good to see and stuff um she doesn't pop up very much uh in anything anymore uh, you had Antonio Banderas in a scene. Ashley Judd was in a scene. Edward Norton was in a scene. I mean, it was it was kind of a crazy, almost like the aviator in that you had just these little like five minute parts from all these notable actors. That's what you had in this. Um, Selma Hayek is just outstanding in this. And you, this is almost like this is the role she was born to play. And she plays it perfectly. Uh, but I think the real star of this is Julie Taymor. And this is like the perfect, uh, the perfect movie for her to be making because she's so artistic in her filmmaking, and and kind of goes off the deep end in some in some psychedelic ways in a lot of her in a lot of her films, but it works when she's doing a portrait of an artist, and especially uh, an artist as colorful and uh, <clears throat> and modern as Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Uh, so it really worked. Uh, well, and all the little, all the little touches she had in there. Like I, I would have loved to see this get a best director nomination. And with as many below the line uh, nominations as it had, I'm surprised she didn't get more consideration for that. But uh, yeah, I really got into it and I loved it. Three and a half stars for Frida. Uh, really, really cool movie. If you haven't seen it yet, it's on HBO max. If you haven't seen it. So, I mean, are are we really saying that Stephen Daldry, uh, you're, you're you're impugning Stephen Daldry's d- direction nomination, Terry? You're saying he shouldn't have been there. I mean, sure. I mean, we'll the director, the hours didn't direct itself, you know. <laughs> it, it, this one actually, you know, took took some effort to direct. <laughs> uh, but it's good. It's good. I've actually never seen Frida. That's always been on my list. I've, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's pretty good. I, I think uh, that's the movie that Edward Norton like wrote, right? That he you know like wrote it uncredited or something. I, I mean, I, I know that he had like a way bigger part than just like his tiny role in it, but or he produced it or something. I don't know, but I, I do remember really liking it, and yeah, you could see why Selma Hawk became a big star like after that. <laughs> Well, and she'd done some stuff before this too. Like she'd had, 
Like, at this point, she'd already had like Desperados and and right. or Desperado and and the some different some different stuff. So people knew who she was. But yeah, I think this is where where everyone realized what kind of actress she could be. And it's kind of a traditional biopic in some ways. Uh, so it kind of reminded me a little bit of Pollock also, which came out around the same time as, as just kind of a traditional biopic of an artist. But because it's, a, it's of an artist, uh, it definitely takes some chances and risks that other biopics wouldn't take. And, uh, and that's what made it cool. Well, okay, going back a little bit to Edward Norton, I believe the story was that her and Norton were dating at the time, and he rewrote a lot of the, the script. Part of the reason, I'll be honest, why I haven't watched this movie is I believe this is also a movie that's been somewhat smeared by uh, uh, Weinstein, Weinstein's involvement, and Salma Hayek, I believe, was a victim of Harvey Weinstein, and I think it's just kind of put a negative, it's a bit of a negative legacy on this movie, so I I, it's just I've always just sort of been uncomfortable even watching it. But I think that's that's what the story was. I think they were romantically involved for a while, her and, and Norton. I, I don't know how much longer their relationship lasted after the movie, but I think there's more of a story there is, is the bottom line. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking here. Yeah, it looks like she did have accusations against him. And, and there was some stuff going on like during the production, like she apparently Weinstein tried to replace Selma Hayek, even though Selma Hayek's the one that brought the project to him. Um, He's not listed as a producer, though. No, but it's Miramax. It's a Miramax movie, just like every 2002 movie was. I know, but he's he's listed as an executive producer on like every movie, though. Not the, but not this one. Hmm. I don't know. Madonna wanted to play Frida Kahlo, and she wanted to cast Marlon Brando as Diego Rivera. Apparently, there we go. That's the movie that needed to be made. <laughs> Uh, 2002. Right. <laughs> yeah, apparently he'd made his last film at that point. Yeah. Anyways, with Julie Tamer directing that—that's the movie right there. <laughs> it's good though. It's good. Okay. That's uh, that's what we've been watching. Let's get into our featured reviews. We have two of them this week. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. Uh, one Netflix. One is the latest blockbuster to hit theaters. We're gonna start on Netflix because it's the one that all three of us got an opportunity to watch. Uh, and it is Hustle, the latest Adam Sandler, Happy Madison, straight to Netflix film. Taking me to see basketball or bare knuckle boxing. We do everything. <laughs> I'm Stanley Sugarman. I'm a scout for the 76ers. So you're 22 years old. Because you can't be in the draft if you're over 22. Yes, I'm 22 years old. Who's this? It's my son. How old is he? He's 10 years old. Okay. Okay. This Philly thing. There's room to grow there. I want to coach someday. Do you love being away from home all the time? Best chance to win in here is with you out there. What the hell am I still chasing this for? So you're just going to give up on your journey? Been in this league for 30 years, and it's like, I'm nothing. Look at this guy. When you come to Philly, your whole world's going to change overnight. I got to work. My mom and my daughter, they mean everything to me. Salary's $900,000. 
he will call in sick. In all the years I've been doing this, have I ever reacted this way? He's raw. We train him, get him in NBA shape. What do you say? It's not gonna happen, Stan. You just gotta get back out there. You know, I haven't been home on my daughter's birthday for nine years running. I'm not asking. The Sixers don't know you stashed her. Being the guy who finds the guy matters in this business. Moulton's fire you for this. I just want to make sure I do what's right for the kid. He's got a daughter to support. You got a daughter to support. Where are you from? Spain. Sounds weird. You think you can stop me? Welcome to America! That wasn't him. That wasn't even close to him. I fly home tomorrow. Is that what you want to do? Hey, you love this game. I love this game. I live this game. Let's get to work. The draft is in six weeks. If we're gonna do this, we gotta do it ourselves. No doubt about it, that kid's got it. Do you need a hand up? You don't need nobody's help. We need a spark. This is all for you, pal. It's for us. Okay, it's for us. Let's see here. Todd, I believe you're the one that's starting this one out. So tell us all about Hustle and what you thought. Okay, Hustle is directed by Jeremiah Zagar. And yeah, Adam Sandler plays Stanley Sugarman. He's a basketball scout for the Philadelphia 76ers. He wants to be a coach, but he's been stuck as a scout, which is not really what he wants to do, but he's like really good at it. Uh, the owner is played by Robert Duvall, who like dies real quick in the movie. And his son is played by Ben Foster, who takes over and has this sort of vendetta against Stanley for some reason and makes him go back overseas as a scout, even though he was like just promoted to coach. Uh, there is this like can't miss prospect that he's looking at there, but he randomly stumbles upon some street ball in Spain. And there's this like unicorn like player played by NBA player Juancho Herman, Hernan Gomez. Uh, his name in the movie is Bo Cruz. And he convinces Bo to come back to the United States with them to sort of sort of try out for the 76ers, like sort of showcase them for the NBA draft, but basically to get associated with the Sixers because no one else knows about him and they're obviously going to get him. The only problem is that Vince, the Ben Foster character, wants to make a name for himself and refuses to have anything to do with Bo. Um, the Zagar is an interesting director. His last movie, We the Animals, is like really avant-garde. This has got unique camera work, but uh, uh, it's definitely more polished than his uh, first movie. This isn't, this isn't Uncut Gems, though. Like this is like... It's, it's actually pretty corny, which was kind of unfortunate. It's more draft day than it is like Moneyball, uh, or, but not as extreme as, as that. Like, um, it's borderline like a Trouble with the Curve uh, remake because it's like this, like someone who's like almost on their way out of, out of the business stumbling upon this once in a lifetime prospect while scouting somebody else. It's also sort of like Jerry Maguire where he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to quit my job and take my chances on this guy that no one wants anything to do with. Um, but this is like Sandler disinterested in what he's doing dramatically, which is not normally what he does with his dr dramas. Like he usually picks them really good, really well. Like he uses like his bad comedy facial expressions in this movie, but he, and he doesn't really use his like subtlety with like occasional explosions, which is like his best asset in dramas. My, my favorite part of the movie was Kenny Smith. Like he's a, uh, he's like, he's a really intriguing part. Like he's basically playing Maverick Carter. who's like, a, who's also a producer on the movie but mixed with Christian Dawkins. So it, I, I just want to know more that, about that character and what his life was like. I could have seen a whole movie about him. Ben Foster is a cool villain, although I don't really understand his his motivations. Uh, he, he, but he uses like fake news to like sabotage somebody for no reason. It's kind of 
kind of realistic and kind of cringy at the same time. Uh, Anthony Edwards is like the main bad guy. He's like this super cocky player who wants to take down Bo for no reason. Also, um, Ernan Gomez is, he has some charisma, but I don't think it's really enough to be the lead in the movie. He's not exactly Ray Allen, but he's, uh, I mean, he, he's, he's good enough. In the end, the movie's just okay. It's not bad, but it's given a bump because Sandler's in it, basically. Like, in my eyes, it's like Space Jam. Like, you watch the movie because you love the game, not because you love the movie. It's it's probably somewhat rewatchable in that sense because of all the name drops and NBA players are in there, which is a star, stark contrast to Space Jam 2, which, I mean, freaking LeBron was a producer on this also, which explains why everyone rallied around the movie. I could see in a, I could see it in a movie I watched like five times, but never actually think it's good. And like Stanley kept like trying to get this like nickname like Bo Cruise Missile to stick as and as well as like comparison. He's like, see Scotty Pippen uh, and a wolf having a baby comparison. Like it was never really that clever, and it, it was like getting annoying to Bo throughout the movie. And that's sort of the way that I was feeling about the movie overall. He just kept doubling down on it, and it never really went anywhere. And I'm giving it two stars. All right. I'll go next on this one. I loved it. I thought that I, I, I thought this movie had a ton of heart to it. I thought it was, it was a good mix of like Sandler drama and, and Sandler comedy um, where it wasn't, it wasn't like, like his slapstick stuff, but he, he definitely was kept things lighthearted a lot more than something like uncut gems. I kept on hearing people compare this to like, um, what what would happen if like uncut gems had an alternate universe and it would be that Adam Sandler's character would turn into Stanley Sugarman. Um, but uh, no, I, I thought it was really cool how they did get like the entire NBA to rally around this movie and there's, there's guys all over it. But uh, I thought that what made the movie good is you, the chemistry between um, Adam Sandler and Hernan Gomez. I thought that was, they, they really worked well together and that that chemistry kind of kind of led the whole entire movie. Um, I agree. Kenny Smith was awesome. Uh, I mean, he actually worked. The only thing that I, that bothered me about it is the one little like snippet they showed of the NBA on TNT desk. He was missing because he was playing another character. So I mean, that that was the one problem with it. Other than that, he was great. Um, ben Foster was was kind of odd. It was it was weird to see him in something like like this. He doesn't normally do stuff like this, and uh, and his his whole his whole getup uh, it reminded me of a scene from A League of Their Own where uh, where Jimmy Dugan is uh, insulting an umpire. But um, the <laughs> if if you know if you know what scene I'm talking about. But no, I thought everyone was everyone was great in this. Anthony Edwards. I mean, when I saw the opening credits and I saw Anthony Edwards, I thought, wait, Goose is in this movie? But no. Uh, it's the NBA player, and he did, he was pretty good. Like he was a solid villain in this, and had some great trash talk. No, I I really liked it. I totally got into it, and it may also be the fact that I finished it about a half hour before we started recording, so it's like really fresh in the brain. But um, it, it's extremely rewatchable. It's extremely likable. It it's a little sentimental, but yeah, it's it it's Jerry Maguire with Adam Sandler in it, an aging Adam Sandler. That's really what I thought of it as I was watching it. Uh, three and a half stars. I thought this was a great, great movie. Zach. A great, great movie. They're going to put that on the poster. Great, right? great. Yeah, great, great two movie. greats, not just one. Just there's a two. A great, comma, great movie. I watched yeah. it a half an hour ago and it's very rewatchable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to put that on there too. 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> well, of course, I'm between you two, of course. Uh, but I, I will say I lean much more toward one of you than the other. And in this case, I lean a lot more toward Terry. I also shamelessly enjoyed this movie, in spite of the fact that I can acknowledge what Todd is saying is that it's uh, not a particularly original premise. And I think we've seen uh, this executed in, in, in better ways, although we've also seen it in a lot of worse ways as well. And yeah, the plot of this movie is sort of Space Jam, but well, with a little bit of Uncle Drew thrown in there. But that's not to say it's not entertaining. Um, also, you know, I will say uh, I did fall asleep in the first 10 minutes of this movie, which was not a good sign. Um, I, I was I was like, oh, really? We got to deal with, you know, the 10 semi- minutes. Yeah, that's a you minutes. problem, man. Yeah, that's it, not, I that was, is nothing I was to do not, with the movie. <laughs> I did not want to watch a movie with Adam Sandler in boardrooms with Ben Foster and Robert Duvall, the judge. And Don't forget about Jaleel White. I, and Urkel. I can't forget about Urkel. I did. That was not the movie I signed up for. So I was thinking, man, I'll just I'll pass out. Hopefully the movie will get better. And then it does because, no, I guess, spoiler, uh, Duvall croaks it in the first 15 minutes. And then the movie gets substantially better. Uh, had the judge followed that formula, I think that might have been a thumbs up movie. Anyway, um, yeah, I thought I, I agree with Terry. I, I think there is a really great d- dynamic and rapport between uh, Herman Gomez and Sandler. I think he's actually Herman Gomez is really good in the movie. Um, he, you know, he's not necessarily asked to do a whole lot, but he looks like a great uh, breakout NBA star. I wonder why he's not a great NBA star. I mean, the guy can hit threes. He's great uh, as a de- defender, great on the perimeter, great at blocking. Uh, what can't the guy do? Uh, I like the way this movie uses uh, viral media and the bow challenge, which we get a nice appearance from Dr. J. Uh, both of you neglect to mention Queen Latifah as Adam Sandler's oh, yeah. wife. Oh, she was great in this movie. I mean, the scene where he's like rubbing her feet. It also gets to something that I really like in Adam Sandler movies. First of all, we're, did we ever see this coming that Adam Sandler is the best best living actor? Because I think he is. I, I mean, I will I will see anything he makes as long as it's somewhat serious. And like he's phenomenal in this movie as usual. In a way, he's so good in this movie that it makes his performance in Uncut Gems even better because I think. People, some people would think this is him going to the extreme. We know what the extreme is like, like Billy the Extreme in Twister. Adam Sandler doesn't quite go to the extreme in this movie. He does have a few freakout scenes that are very nice, but I also like the quiet scenes with him and his daughter. Very good relationship there. And and and, and Queen Latifah, like I said, I like, by the way, that Queen Latifah did the bow challenge and failed miserably. I thought that was a great little moment. Um, I mean, it, she actually got a shot off, though. She did. did See, count? if you're going to do the bow challenge, why, <laughs> why try to go to the post? That's ridiculous. You got to just fling it up there, man. I mean, that's the only way you're going to, and just uh, hope for a prayer. That's the only way you're going to get the bow challenge. Anyway, um, Anthony Edwards, he is on my list of best supporting actor nominees so far for this year. I mean, granted, I've only seen 30 movies, but he was great in this movie. Great villain, kind of out of nowhere, uh, kind of a real scumbag performance. And uh, I also learned after watching this movie that Anthony Edwards' uh, dog has a Twitter account, so I definitely followed that. Uh, But he has a tremendous charisma. I want to see him in more movies. And it didn't necessarily take away from from, uh, uh, Wancho. Uh, he, he was he was great in the movie too. The cameos are never distracting. They're fun. You get the sense that this is a movie that truly loves basketball. And here's my favorite thing about the movie, out of all these things, which is that every single stupid sports movie now, the climactic sequence is the big game, right? Who's going to win the title? It's going to come down to the final shots. Like everybody has seen Hoosiers too many times. What I love in this movie is that the climax, what they're building up to, is 
the uh the, the scouting game right the the combine that to me is so much more realistic because okay you know we're jaded you know if you lose a championship game so what you still earned your paycheck you're still in the nba you still have a career that millions would pine for but the combine i mean if you blow that you're really blowing your career to me that is like really high stakes stuff that seems much more realistic and compatible with what actually happens in the nba and, you know, given this character's backstory, which ha definitely has some fuzziness to it, uh, and the fact that, you know, he's in the United States, his family is still in Spain, he, uh, you know, it's, it's very unpredictable. And I, 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 I found this movie pretty gripping. It's not a great movie by any means, but it, I think it does a service to basketball that I think few other <coughs> movies do. And I, I think basketball's, basketball and boxing are the two most cinematic movies. And I, this is a great testament to how visual and how exciting basketball is to watch as, as, a, as a filmic depiction. Basketball is not a great is great for movies actually. No, I mean it's baseball and boxing. This movie. The whole point of this movie is that it makes great viral videos that the daughter makes and everybody loves them. Well, I mean, okay, so yeah, it's not building up to a big game. Like I said, this movie is a remake of Trouble with the Curve, and nobody has ever has said that, but it's the exact same plot and it's the exact same everything is the, it's the same, except for it's instead of the daughter finding the the once in a lifetime prospect, it's the actual guy. But, I still need to see that movie, by the way. I've never seen it either, and I would so much rather watch Adam Sandler than Clint Eastwood. Trouble with the Curve is a way better movie, though, and it's way it's it's way more scaled back. Uh, but it's not a Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, he's in the movie. It's an Amy Adams movie, really. But I don't know. I I I I can't I can't see how you don't think that the the cameos are the distraction. Like I mean, you, you're watching this movie and then you're like, okay, yeah, Trey Young is really going to be part of this like scrimmage game with like this guy who has <laughs> never like played in like professional basketball. Like yeah, that's never going to happen. I mean, and but I mean, but they had to throw him in there because he wanted to be part of the movie. I'm sure because everybody did. Why why isn't that realistic? I feel like that's that's conceivable that they that there's some you know back back room game at a high school where they're scrimmaging oh i'm sure the prospect. atlanta hawks are going to love the fact that their star player is playing in a in a high stakes scrimmage game uh, like when it's not during the season that's against, th that's against a, a guy with a anger cynical, problems it's a cynical uh critique of the movie oh, that... yeah just watch the movie and enjoy the basketball sequences why do we have to think about all the nuts and bolts it's a great that's a great sequence it's very exciting makes... to watch so why we're reviewing the movie <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, some of the some of the cameos I didn't realize were NBA players, first of all. And second of all, some of the cameos uh, have some really great, uh, you know, uh, high roller uh, potential here. We've got the the super fan, James Ferguson. Is that his name? No, James Goldstein, who's in yeah. the movie. Uh, that that was a great moment. And then, of course, I think we might need to actually rename the, the award the Big Serbian Award because the Big Serbian is oh, in the man. movie. <laughs> And Boban is great as the big Serbian, who is oh, yeah, 22 it, years old. It's, it's all, -year -old also son. not making it clear that this is also Happy Gilmore, because you got the giant, like like you do in Happy Gilmore, you have the mentor situation with the guy with anger problems becoming a star in the, you know, I mean, yeah. It's also my it, giant. Everything's derivative in this movie. That's why I'm giving it two stars. But I can, I'll watch the movie again, because it's fun. But I'm not saying, it, I'm never going to say it's good. I, I never th was watching it, and I was like, yeah, this is a good movie. No, it's just, it's just fun to watch. All right. Well, we got Todd at two stars, Zach's at three, I'm at three and a half. It's easy to find right now on Netflix. When I went on Netflix today, it was the first thing that popped up. So uh, you've probably seen Adam Sandler's face. 
I, I'm curious, does anybody know how many more films Adam Sandler has in this Netflix contract he signed? Because this like was unlike, un, unlike Uncut Gems, this 90. was a Happy Madison production. Yeah, yeah. I think what the, it's the only other. I don't think he's done another drama other than I think Rain Over Me might have been Happy Madison, but I don't think that any other movie he's produced has ever been remotely serious. Yeah, this movie also reminded me that Home Team, his uh, Happy Madison movie from earlier this year, was not a bad movie, and you guys were way too mean <laughs> to it. That was like a, not a terrible movie. You remember, like two or three weeks after that review, you were like, "Dude, why did I like Home Team?" This movie reminded me that Home Team was was a good, well, not a good movie, but I feel I probably feel about Home Team the way Todd feels about uh, Hustle. Was a tolerable movie, maybe. I I would watch it, maybe not because I enjoy it, but all right, I don't know. Let Adam let Adam Sandler, you know, cook. Let him cook. Get get him in the kitchen. Let him cook. <laughs> Get his shit out there into libraries. All right. <laughs> well, let's move on from Hustle. And let's go on to the 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 big movie of the weekend that uh, came in at the box office with, oh, what did it end up getting? It got a ton of money. Um, I wasn't sure at first if it was going to beat Top Gun this weekend. But it did. It, it made $143 million dollars. At the box office, however, at Top Gun fifty, like it, it's it's barely it's it's still making over half of the weekend before, which is huge for a movie like that. Anyways, we're not talking about Top Gun. We're talking about Jurassic World Dominion. I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that we could see and touch. Creation is an act of sheer will. Life will find a way. can't keep her here forever they find her we're never gonna see her again we gotta protect her that's our job humans and dinosaurs can't coexist we created an ecological disaster ellie settler alan grant you didn't come out all this way just to catch up now did you you coming or what we're racing toward the extinction of our species we not only lack dominion over nature we're subordinate to it
Not exactly. did not get a chance to see this yet uh but zach and i did uh zach since you're you are the jurassic park I'm the, expert I'm the here. resident expert yeah. yeah of anything that's a franchise uh you get to start us off and tell us all about jurassic world dominion jurassic world dominion interesting title there's no colon in it so it's jurassic I, I was world thinking the same dominion. thing i think jurassic world fallen kingdom had a colon in it this is like you know, bad did, lieutenant port of call New Orleans. They just decided to give up on the punctuation. I mean, Colin Trevorrow, what's going on? You're supposedly a writer. Not a very good one, apparently. <laughs> but punctuation they, they, matters. They, they spent all the money on the special effects. They ran out of money. They to ran out of yeah, Exactly. The yeah. yeah. <laughs> they ran out of, you know, some uh, some 70-year-old, you know, grammar editor with a red pen. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I just saw this today. Um uh, Maybe it's influencing my my favorable review of Hustle because maybe any movie I watch other than this movie is going to look a lot better. Uh, this is a 149-minute uh, movie about uh, dinosaurs. Uh, after Fallen Kingdom, um, dinosaurs have now overrun the Earth. By the way, did you guys... No, I guess Todd didn't see it. But Terry, did you remember anything about Fallen Kingdom? Nope. Because watching the, watching this movie the first five minutes, I was like, what the heck happened in Fallen Kingdom? I don't remember <laughs> anything. Um, I will say one of the few things I liked about this movie is it did a sort of Citizen Kane-esque news on the march uh, recap as like a viral news video. I like that. I wish more movies, especially sequels, did that because it did kind of update us uh, nicely. Don't you agree? Be, I, I, yeah, I liked how they just assumed that no one remembered Fallen exactly. Kingdom. Exactly. <laughs> I think they, all, they all can concede that no one remembers it because uh, it wasn't a good movie and this isn't either. Anyway, apparently now the world, uh, there is a coexistence between animals and dinosaurs. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, actually this is kind of interesting because one of the things I didn't like about uh, the previous Jurassic Park movies is that they're all so secluded. They don't feel real. They don't feel lived in. It all feels like a science, sci-fi dystopian fantasy with a lot of money thrown in there and a lot of CGI. A movie with real-world issues like, you know, uh, Triceratops or Brontosaurus in your backyard, I, that's kind of fascinating. And there is a uh, there, there are a few storylines in this movie that uh, kind of look at maybe what, what really would happen. For example, there is now a black market industry of, like, exotic pet dinosaurs that you can buy. Um, I don't really know if that would really happen because I feel like exotic animals are scarce and apparently dinosaurs in this world are, you know, there's one on every block. Um, but of course, in typical Colin Trevorrow fashion, he's not interested in that. He's only interested in stupid, bloated special effects and horrible uh, contrived situations. So this story, actually, it's two movies in one, really. Movie A is uh, from the original Jurassic Park uh, trilogy. You get uh, the uh, memorable characters of Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler, played by Sam Neill and Laura Dern. And uh, they are reunited for this movie because of some plot that involves locusts. 
know, this movie's supposed to be about dinosaurs. Why is there such a focus on locusts? Uh, so cra crazed David Cronenberg-esque locusts that have been genetically modified. So that brings them back to some, uh, you know, um, uh, deranged park in Italy where there's been genetic mutations going on with dinosaurs. Plot B is the Jurassic World folks, a.k.a. Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, and a little girl. Now, the little girl apparently was in Fallen Kingdom. I do not remember her at all in Fallen Kingdom. Do you, Terry? Nope. And as soon as she showed up, I as soon as she showed up, I went, okay, I kind of vaguely think, remember this plot line. I think, well, because the, the plot line, the Chris Pratt, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard plot line leans heavily on the little girl. Like, you need to understand who this little girl is and why she's important. She gets a lot of screen time in this movie. Yeah. I didn't remember any of that. So I've kind of lost. Apparently, she's some sort of clone. She's kind of like, you know, like in species or ex machina. She's some sort of artificial being, I think. I'm not really sure what she has to do with dinosaurs in any way. But as all little girls go in stupid CGI movies like this, uh, what happens? She gets kidnapped. And of course, that prompts predictably Bryce uh, Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. Uh, to uh, go find her. And where has she been taken? She's been taken to the same place that Laura Dern and Sam Neill are. They also, along the way, steal uh, Blue's daughter. Blue is the uh, the the dinosaur who, uh, you know, was BFFs with Chris Pratt and the original Jurassic World, which was a lot better than this movie. Anyway, this movie is just a disaster from one scene to another. Um, it is... Uh, uh, you know, that you, it wants to do fan service with the Laura Dern and Sam Neill, and then later Jeff Goldblum shows up. Uh, not only does it do fan service, it basically just redoes the whole original uh, plot line and story beats of Jurassic Park. I mean, there's scenes where they're literally in a helicopter, just like in the original. There's scenes where, um, you know, uh, uh, Laura Dern is petting a dinosaur in distress, just like the original. They give the shocked expressions, just like the original. The only thing that wasn't in this movie was the uh, the the cup of water that starts uh, shaking a little bit in a Jeep, okay? I was wondering where that was gonna appear. Sadly, it's not there. This movie is total and complete uh, derivativeness. Now, it did kind of dawn on me that there is a formula for this movie to work, and that is Jurassic Park 3, which is not a great movie, but it is written by uh, the writers of one of the 10 greatest movies of all time. And as a result, it did have a slight improvement upon this movie, meaning that it was sort of a genre fun movie where dinosaurs romp around and it's fun. This movie could have been like that. There's a few sequences like where the dinosaurs invade the city and, uh, you know, uh, Chris Pratt on his bike and he has to go onto a, a helicopter. And I'm thinking, okay, a 90 minute movie with that actually sounds kind of interesting and it could have worked. But this movie is so contrived in its attempt to convey both fan service and uh, an attempt to um, basically... Uh, convalesce the movie into a satisfying uh, conclusion because God knows they're not going to make another one of these. It's also pretty obvious that this movie was shot during COVID because the two storylines look nothing alike. They're shot differently. They're, they don't, they're, there's no consistency with them at all. They don't even meet up until about the two hour mark. This movie is a total mess from start to finish. I will say it is better than the bubble though. Not that that is very much of high praise. I give this movie one and a half stars. It's uh, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, I, I'm a little higher on it. I'm giving it I'm giving it two stars, um, but not not much. Yeah, I, it starts out and you and I was thinking to myself going into it. What now? What is what was Fallen Kingdom about? And then yeah. they remind me and like, oh, yeah, I don't care about these storylines. And and then it, it, it then goes on and plays into them like, yeah, I don't really care about these characters anymore. I don't care about these storylines. I don't 
it, it it's kind of useless. Um, and, uh, it's, what's interesting is I, so I watched this as the second part of a double feature Friday night after watching Top Gun Maverick again. And then I'm, and if you remember last week, I said Top Gun Maverick is like, is the perfect sequel. It like, it does everything so well in, in following up, um, in following up the, the first film. And this one, it's like, this is trying to find the right formula to make a good sequel. And you can tell it's trying. Um, and and this whole the whole Jurassic World trilogy, because you've got the Jurassic Park trilogy, now you've got the Jurassic World trilogy, is kind of is kind of a mess. The first one I liked, but the first one was obvious kind of like it was kind of like Force Awakens in that it just remade the original movie. Then then you get Fallen Kingdom, which essentially just remade Lost World. Like it, it was basically the same plot as Lost World. And it they both end up with dinosaurs on the mainland and then what happens next. So this one, it's going with something completely new, completely different. So what does it do? It's like, you know what? We're going to do Jurassic park, Spider-Man, no way home edition. And we're going to bring back all the characters from 30 years ago that you care about. And what's the movie about? Oh, I, I don't care. They're all going to be there. They're, they're, they're all going to be there. And, and the, the, that's going to be, that's going to, it's going to be great. Yeah, but what's going to happen? They're all there, and and there's dinosaurs, and 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 go. That that's that's about as much thought as it felt like it put into this plot. It's like okay, let's come up with something to get them all there, which took over an hour. By the way, it took way too long to get them there. And once they were all there, and you were having like your typical Jurassic Park stuff, it was fine. They kind of made all the dinosaurs stupid because there's no way none of these people um, meet. I mean, spoiler alert, but there's no way there's none that none of these people meet their demise at, at, during during this movie. Like there are moments like, yeah, yeah, that guy's dead. Uh, nope. Oh, OK. These dinosaurs must not be very smart anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it so it gets to be fun. And the second half of, after they all get together and they're doing their thing and you didn't mention Jeff Goldblum, you've got Jeff Goldblum around and, and he's, he's doing his Jeff Goldblum thing. And, um, Oh, Campbell Scott is like oh, the worst villain I've ever seen in my life. I mean, what, what the hell was that? I don't even know. I mean, I, I generally and, and don't mind Campbell Scott, but my word, like he, he tries to have like a freak out moment and he, he looks like he ha he's never acted before. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. Um, I'm so, yeah, I'm giving it two stars. I think I like it better than fallen kingdom, but again, I don't really remember that much about fallen kingdom. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I had such higher hopes for this. Yeah. A couple of things I want to mention about Campbell Scott. Um, like I, I completely forgot about him until, I mean, that says, that says all you need to know. He's the main antagonist in the movie. I didn't even remember him in the story. Um, he, uh, okay. Did you guys know that his father was George C. Scott? I did not know that until no. today. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Right. I did. I don't think they look anything alike. That's nuts to me. That um, is nuts. Look it up. And then the second thing I was going to say is, um, Campbell Scott in this movie, I, 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 I kept getting uh, a little bit um, sidetracked because to me, he looked like if Roger Ebert had have ever had liposuction, 
Like he looked like a really <laughs> thin Roger Ebert toward toward the end of his life. And I just kept thinking Raj as the antagonist of this movie. Now, I, I I really I really kind of hated this movie. I sat I, I okay, I I told you I wanted to fall asleep during this movie. Of course I couldn't. Um, in part because there were little children around me who were so distracted because this movie was so lame and uninteresting that they found other ways to amuse themselves. And uh, this has to be it for Jurassic Park, right? I mean, they, they had to, you know, the studio must know that there is no real right way to resuscitate this. Kind of like the dinosaurs, the, Jurassic, the appeal of Jurassic Park, I think, is pretty extinct at this point, right? They may read the box trade. office. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the... because there's nothing else to see. I mean, uh, what? <laughs> Maverick. I mean, well, but I, yeah, yeah, I get it, but like, okay, but here, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing: where Maverick is like setting records at how little it's dropping off from week to week. Jurassic World next week. I mean, what did I say it made? Like 140 million. It's gonna make. I'm gonna say under 30 million next week. It's possible. It's a great way to put your kids to sleep for three hours. That's that's a that's a big appeal of the movie, particularly when it's really hot outside in an air conditioned theater. It's too loud to put people to sleep. Oh, and it was extremely loud. I agree with you. I also agree with you about, uh, boy, these dinosaurs are stupid. There's one point where, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the movie is how apparently uh, there's now a system where you can put a laser pointer on someone and the, the dinosaurs will try to go kill that person. Very original stuff there. Um, there are several plane crashes in this movie where no one even has a scratch, particularly one big one. I was like, I mean, and I know that, you know, that's almost, you know, uh, not necessarily we haven't seen that before. But I mean, come on, they don't even have a scratch when they crash land the plane. Give me a break. I don't know. I, I really kind of I will say there was an, uh, one good moment in this movie with Bryce Dallas Howard involving her going underwater. Maybe you remember that mo moment, Terry. Yes, that was that, a good moment. That yeah, was that like was good. That was almost channeling the original Jurassic Park. That if that mo if you could isolate that moment, that was well done. The rest of the movie, pretty pretty shameless. Now the dumbest, most unbelievable part was when Chris Pratt goes underwater. I don't know if I remember that part. Through the ice. No, I, I after I the plane. Oh, crash. I think I remember that part. Uh, yeah, but again, it all it all blends together, yeah. like. The, the Bryce Dallas Howard scene, the, the reason that scene worked is because it was at in the middle of extremely loud noise, 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 and then silence. It's like, yeah. could, they, could they have just learned that? I don't know. Colin Trevorrow is crap. Is he talented at all? Because I really don't think he is. Safety Not Guaranteed is a good movie. He did, yeah, he he didn't did write do it, Safety though. Not Guaranteed. He, he only directed it. <clears throat> well, and, and since then, he's been getting... Well, what has he done since then? He's done... Dress he started World. to make The Last Jedi... And then he was fired. And then he got fired. Oh, was it no? It was Rise of Skywalker? I think the Rise of Skywalker. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Since Safety Not Guaranteed, he directed Jurassic World, The Book of Henry, and Jurassic oh, yeah. World Dominion. Everyone loved The Book of Henry. Classic. What is The Book of Henry? It's the one about the little kid and the and uh, you know um, no, uh, Hank Schrader is abusing uh, the neighbor girl. Yeah. Real fun. <laughs> he doesn't have a real name. It's just Hank Schrader. This yeah. movie makes Hustle look like Hoosiers. Not that they're related, but, you know, I think I, maybe that's what's impacting me. Hustle Hustle was fun. This movie is a chore. All right. I'm giving it two stars. Zach's giving it one and a half. I think we've spent enough time on it. Yes. Todd, please. after that rousing, uh, that those rousing recommendations, I'm sure you're going to go see it. Well, I was going to. I mean. Okay. I mean, I mean, it. 
It's one of those that I mean, if you're going to see it, you got to see it in the. It's theater. not even fun to be contradictory about it, though. Like I, I was really looking for parts to champion, but it's just so lame and dumb. Well, I've never heard somebody say I'm hoping to fall asleep during this movie, but yeah, I was really that's an interesting I way to go in. Asleep. I was hoping it was it was too loud. I agree with Terry. You're right. The, the, that's also why the kids didn't fall asleep either. Yeah, but Maverick was the loudest movie I've ever heard, and you said he fell asleep during that. I fell asleep during the the sequence in the bar. That was not the loudest part of the movie. I would I would go back and rewatch Maverick just for just for that sequence. I think I maybe we'll do that this week. I'll go with my boys. Terry went with his. I'll go with mine. There you go. There you go. Yep. All right. That's Jurassic World Dominion. I will say one last thing. It was pretty cool to see Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and and Jeff Goldblum back together again. That that was cool to see. But it would have been cool to see. In, in, in a, a real movie. movie. In a real mm-hmm. movie, it would have been nice. Yeah, your review reminded me of uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, I mean, we're, we're, they're probably in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I, I Ghostbusters Afterlife a lot more than I like this, though. I don't know. If, that one was like a blatant, like, ridiculous remake, though. Like, it, it even brought back the same villains. It was weird. Anyways, yeah. moving on. It is now time for Power Rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power Rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And for Power Rankings last time, I won. So I got to pick our category. And our category is, is uh, was motivated by several different things. Um, our category is uh, the best films with a color in the title. And so a couple things that, that led into this for about the last month or two, Zach has been begging me to watch the film Red Rocket, which I haven't gotten to yet. I have it on reserve at the library, but there's a lot of people that have it on reserve at the library. I'm going to get to it as soon as my is copy streaming? comes in. I don't think it's streaming anywhere yet. No. Mm-hmm. If it is, I'll try and watch it this week, but I'm pretty sure it's not streaming anywhere. Uh, if it is, it must be like within the last week. But also, uh, it is Pride Month. You're seeing the rainbow, uh, the rainbow logos around everywhere. So I'm like, you know what? It, it, it's a very colorful, colorful time. Let's let's uh, let's celebrate the films with a color in the title. So this is kind of different, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. See see where this goes. Uh, the only stipulation uh, was that you could only pick one film per color. So uh, you had to you had to get different colors in there. Top 100 movies are fair game, so you could pick ones off off your uh, off your top 100 if you wanted to. Yeah, that's what we're going does, with. Does Adam know the rules? Adam knows the rules. He sent it to me once and said, "Wait, are top 100 movies fair game?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Okay," and he went back and changed it. So he knows the rules. Whether he'll follow them is more unclear. That, that's that's very true. Very true. Okay. So we're going to start with, you know what? I'm going to start. Why the hell not? Um, <laughs> my number five movie uh, is, well, let's see here. First, uh, I think there's three movies on this that are top 100 movies for me. Uh, I, I came up with quite a list. I was, I was coming up with this. Uh, I was sitting with my wife and I kept on asking her, could I pass this off as a color? And she went, no, no, you can't. It's like, yeah. What about this? No, that's that's not a color. So, um, so these are actual colors that are in that are in my move in in my movies here. So number five, 
this movie is celebrating a 10 year anniversary this year. It is David O. Russell's silver linings playbook. Uh, I, I love this movie when it came out. I haven't watched it for a while, but uh, it's got some very memorable performances in it uh, and, and just some great moments. You've got an Oscar winning performance by Jennifer Lawrence. Honestly, I think you could have given Bradley Cooper an Oscar for this too. And no one would have argued because he's, I don't think he's been much better uh, than he was in this. Um, You've got surprising performances from De Niro and, uh, and, I mean, Jackie Weaver got an Oscar nomination for it, but I don't really know why. Um, but it, it's just a great movie about these two oddballs that come together and uh, and be exactly what each other needs. And uh, and I love it. Silver Linings Playbook. That's my number five. So do you think 10 years after her Oscar, Jennifer Lawrence's win still holds up? I mean, you're a fan of the movie, I guess. But like, was she really better than Emmanuel Riva? Mm. Yeah, I think she was. Well, and who, Brett, who else was in that race? I mean, uh, Naomi Watts, Naomi Watts, Quavante yeah, Ellis, Wallace. Yeah, Quavante Wallace. Not, I think Reva was the best one in that category. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence was maybe the second best. I think it was between those two. I I, I think it's fascinating how it was just kind of this perfect storm of of uh, crowning her the next big thing, and then the next year was Hunger Games. And which solidified the fact that it that she was the next big thing, um, and now it's almost like she's it, 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 she's been the next the the big thing for so long. You you forget she's not what is she barely thirty? Like she's been she's been huge for so long. Um, it's interesting. Anyways, Todd, what were you gonna say? She's thirty two, uh, by the way, or thirty one. Turned thirty two in a. I didn't have anything else. You didn't have anything else. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see here. We'll go to Todd next. Todd, number five. My number five is the Stanley Kubik classic, A Clockwork Orange, mm. about Alex and his droogs, who are just a group of, like, really well-dressed anarchists who steal and beat and rape strangers. The uh, movie is Kubrick at his most, like, creative cult directory kind of thing, but it's also just astonishing in his attention to detail. Like, Malcolm McDowell is amazing, of course. Uh, The images are forever ingrained in my head. I even read the book, which is almost more diabolical, but I think it's only because I was imagining what Kubrick already had imagined, and it made it that much more disturbing. And honestly, there aren't a lot of orange in titles movies. I I was realizing, so I feel like I had to mention this one. And I I don't think either of you actually are fans of the movie, so that's my number five. Yeah, I my rating of it is really low, but I feel like I remember it more fondly than I should for how low I have it rated. So I need to I probably need to watch it again. I've never sat through the whole thing. I've seen it in bits and pieces. I I should rewatch it. I remember liking a lot of it. I've just never, for whatever reason, sat through all of it. All right. Okay. But Zach. you're right. I had a hard time finding Orange 2, except for Orange County, which I am a big fan of. And I think, Todd, you are too. <laughs> I don't know if it really deserves a spot on this list, but at least it deserves some sort of mention because it is a good movie. With Jack Black, maybe the best actor with a color in their name. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had an interesting time. I thought this list was going to be easier than it was. It was actually pretty yeah. challenging. And I would say, curiously enough, there was one color that really worked well. I'm not going to say what color it was, but the one color requirement really messed me up, Terry. So thank you. Um, 
Anyway, I'm going to start. I'm going to try to go to movies that um, I don't know. Maybe we haven't talked about too much or too, are, are too obvious. Uh, although I will say my number five movie is a movie that appeared on my top 10 list a couple years ago. So I have mentioned it on the podcast. It is a movie from Iceland. It was the 2020 uh, best, for, best international film nominee from Iceland. And it is a movie called A White White Day. Um, which is an excellent kind of police procedural movie. Um, it's a little bit like The Pledge, the Jack Nicholson movie we deep dove a couple uh, years ago. Uh, and in the sense that it is about a retired police detective who maybe is a little bit past his prime. And so his interest, in this case, it's about uh, the death of his wife, who kind of died under mysterious circumstances. She was having an affair with someone else, and this police detective thinks that uh, this guy was somehow more involved with his wife's uh, death slash murder slash suicide. Uh, it's not really, though, about the mystery of the, of the wife. That's sort of why the movie was made, but it's really more, more about just this guy's gradual unraveling in front of his family. He has grown children who sometimes come by and see him. He has a granddaughter. Uh, the relationship is a little bit like Mike Airman Trout and Kaylee. Uh, he loves her a lot, but I think she realized that, that his her pop-pop is a little bit crazy, lost his marvels a little a little bit. Um, there's sort of a confrontation sequence in the last third of this movie that's a little reminiscent of In the Bedroom. Uh, it's a really good movie. Uh, it's kind of weird and Scandinavian and mysterious, and it doesn't totally explain everything by the end of it. But uh, I really like it. I haven't forgotten about it since. Uh, I stand by it as one of the best uh, films of uh, two years ago. And uh, I, it hasn't had any sort of following or critical passion for it. So I thought it was really good. I know Todd would like it. He, I would guarantee three and a half star Todd movie. But it is my white entry for this list. A white, white day from Iceland. Number five. Very nice. Very nice. I, I did not have a white movie on, on my list. But but I, I did have some that I considered like uh, like White Christmas or Snow White or uh, the, pro probably the closest if I remembered anything about it other than the title was the White Ribbon. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a banger. Yeah. All right. Number four. Number four on my list. Uh, my last one was 10 years ago. This one's 20 years ago. Uh, and it's once again another 2002 Edward Norton movie. It's Red Dragon. Uh, possibly, I mean, I keep on going back and forth in my brain on if this is better than Silence of the Lambs. Um, we deep dive it. Uh, we should. Uh, yep. That'd be a lot of fun. It, it's um, it, it had and it has been a little while since I've watched it, so it would be a really good deep dive. Um, I think it might be the best story of the of the Hannibal trilogy. Whether it's the best movie, I don't know, but it's the best story, um, because Will Graham is such a fascinating character, and his relationship with Hannibal, I mean, it almost feels like the the Clarice and Hannibal relationship is trying to capture what Will and Hannibal had, um, and then Ray Fiennes as the Tooth Fairy is just chilling, and uh, it, it's it's such a good movie, and then you throw in like. Philip Seymour Hoffman and and Emily Watson into these little side parts. It's so it's so good, it's so good. So yeah, Red Dragon. It's number four. Yeah, two thousand two was a great move a year for Edward Norton and movies with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Emily Watson in them. <laughs> yep. They're all kind of connected in a weird way, but that's obviously a great pick. All right, Todd, number four. My number four is, it comes from twenty ten. It is Black Swan. And, uh, um, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, that was going to make an appearance at some point. Kind of made it an earlier appearance than I was expecting on Todd's list, but so be it. Oh, I have a lot of really good colored movies, color title movies. See, you got to watch how you say it because it just sounds bad if you say it the wrong way. Yeah, I just realized that when I said it. Colorful movies. They're colorful movies. That, that's how I that's how I started started calling it. Anyways, Zach, number four. Does Reservoir Dogs count as a color movie? I mean, it's there's no no color in the title, but it's colored characters, right? I mean, that, that I think it gets an honorary mention on all of our lists. We could do honorable mentions of movies that can't make this list, but somehow are involved color wise. Because I I thought of a number that couldn't be mentioned, <laughs> but maybe have some relationship. Anyway, I like. That. Um, Okay, number number four on my list is also a movie I I, re, I watched in the last couple of years. I do think I brought it up on the podcast, but is I think I actually watched it maybe last summer or two summers ago, and it really hasn't left my mind since I saw it. It's a movie uh, that is uh, from uh, Vietnam, and it is a movie called The Scent of Green Papaya. It was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars in 1992. And uh, it is a really awesome movie. It is all about this young girl who is growing up, I believe, in the 1950s, I want to say. I'm not entirely sure. But she's living in this very small village, which is a movie set. But it's done in such a stylized way that it, it almost is it almost like recalls German expressionism. I mean, it feels really like real and lived in, but also kind of artificial in a way, which is really neat. I can't really uh, explain it well, but you actually learn the geography of this village really well. There's a lot of kind of hidden corridors that this girl kind of goes through and walks through. This movie should have won Best uh, Art Direction at the, at the, at the Oscars <laughs> that year. Anyway, um, it kind of shows her life. She's a servant girl who works for this rich family, and as a result, she is in charge of making meals for them, uh, uh, washing their clothes, kind of attending to the domestic uh, daily rituals. The first 45 minutes of this movie, nothing really happens. It's just more sort of a look at domesticity, but also kind of the rigid class system in Vietnam at that time. Again, a very, you know, a Vietnam before the war, a, a, a sort of in some ways pre-modern uh, Vietnam um, and then it shows the way this girl grows up and she grows up in, in a way where uh, she wants to have a better life um, economically and uh, emotionally in terms of relationships than what she has uh, as, as someone in the working class, in the servant class. Um, she wants to do better on behalf of her family. She wants to become educated. And the way that she does it is is really kind of interesting. It's it's a sad movie. It's a very poetic movie. It's a beautifully shot movie. I mean, when this movie was released, it was very, uh, uh, you know, praised for its uh, lush cinematography um, and its direction. The director of the movie uh, is named uh, An Hong Tron. Um, I don't know if he did a whole lot of other movies. He did a movie called Ciclo and the Vertical Ray of the Sun. I remember those movies. I haven't seen them. Um, but this is definitely one of the best movies to come out of Southeast Asia. Um, and uh, it does have the word green in its title. And not that many great green movies, unfortunately. So I did feel prompted to put it on the list. Um, the Big Green, the soccer movie, is my number two choice for, uh, obviously, uh, green as a color. But uh, this one is slightly better. Oh, I had I had several that were good candidates in that were green. Not so. Green Book. Green Book was my uh, my worst one. See, I I, I how I green was my valley. How green was my valley? That, yeah, that's true. Go. All right, Greenberg with number, Ben Stiller. <laughs> Does that count? Three. I I, I, I only so. did ones where the color isn't yeah, its own word. I agree. I agree. But like Goldfinger, I I did not. Consider. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, number three on my list, 
this is getting into, I mean, this part of the list was pretty easy because it's getting into my top 100 now. Number three on my list is on Golden Pond. Um, See, that's not that's not the Golden, golden. is a. I mean, I was wondering about Golden. That was debatable. I, I didn't. I didn't consider that because it wasn't the whole word. Well, I'm considering it. I'm going with it because it it's it, it works. So it, it's it's a brilliant movie. We've talked about it several times on the podcast. Todd made me watch it a couple years ago, and it instantly turned into a top 100 movie. Uh, Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn both won Oscars for it very deservingly. Uh, Henry Fonda gives a great performance as just this this crotchety old man that uh, with a heart of gold, and um, it, it's it, it's just a fun a fun movie that's just exactly what m- movies of that time when they're done well this is what they look like and uh, and I love I love on Golden Pond so it's my number three. Yeah, obviously, obviously, great pick. Uh, I, I agree with Todd that golden is not a color. Golden rod is a paper color, so I would maybe contemplate that. Um, when I watched this movie as a kid, I don't know if this is disturbing or not, but my mom said, you should watch on Golden Pond sometime. You know why? And I said, why? She said, because there's a kid in it who reminds me of you. And I, she was referring to uh, Jane Fonda's son in the movie, who is a precocious asshole. So uh, that was like not a great thing to hear your parents say, but you know, at least I saw the movie. Thanks, mom. I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. All right, Todd, number three. My number three is, I mean, we are the biggest champions of this movie of any probably podcast or reviewers anywhere. It's blue story. Yeah. I knew that was coming up on you. I will have to mention, I'm going to take it. It is my, the best movie of 2020. Uh, BAFTA winner for Rising Star for Michael Ward, who's, I think he's actually the star of the new Sam Mendes movie. Starting to do something crazy. Um, uh, the, the movie fits the Todd profile really well, but it's way deeper than that. I mean, it's it's sort of a musical. It's angry, passionate, absolutely disturbing, but it's 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 a just an absolute killer movie. I, I love Blue Story, and I'm not really sure why it's called Blue Story, but um, it has blue in the title, so that's my number three. Can we get Ratman on the podcast, or at least on Daily Notes? Ooh. Why hasn't that happened yet? We need to try, Adam. <laughs> make, make the call. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Let's make it happen. Cool. All right. Zach, number three. Uh, number three is my blue entry as well. Uh, maybe not a shocking blue entry if you know me. It is uh, from 20, uh, no, 2010, Blue Valentine, Derek C. in mm. France. Maybe my favorite movie, well, not favorite, but maybe a top five movie ever about uh, marriage and, and the dissolution of marriage and relationships dissolving. A classic Zach theme. I, I love that theme in movies. I love depressing movies. Um, and this is a movie where Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, um, boy, they, they act the shit out of this movie. I, I don't know how they didn't both win Oscars for it, but uh, they play a couple. Uh, the movie is shot uh, in both the past and the present, it kind of intercuts between them. It's a good example of intercutting. Uh, you know, uh, Jurassic World, the creators of Jurassic World Dominion should have watched it as a good example of how to do parallel cutting. Anyway, um, it shows Dean and Cindy's relationship at the beginning when they're young and idealistic and in love. And it shows them after, you know, they have kids and a mortgage and annoying parents and they live somewhere in Pennsylvania. And uh, it just does an amazing job of not necessarily showing people who are who are faded and helpless, but just sort of tired in their life and tired in their marriage. And 
uh, gosh, it's just it's it's a phenomenal movie that I think actually is much better today than when I originally saw it uh, ten years ago. So uh, I don't know why it's called Blue Valentine. I don't think it's ever really explained in the movie, um, but it's obviously a great movie. And I will say one of the most things I'm proud of is that I turned Adam onto it, and it's pretty high on his list. And I would be shocked if it wasn't in his top five as well. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's a good choice. See, I thought you were going to say Blue is the warmest color. Well, okay, but, you know, like Frida, that's a movie that I don't know what to say about it anymore because there are some very questionable, problematic things that went on during the making of that movie. So sure. I don't know. How, I mean, worse, way worse than Frida, I, I think. I mean, Frida Frida was, you know, Weinstein being a total scumbag. It's blue is the warmest color. If you read about the movie, the actual filming of it and the way the director treated the actresses is you know, questionable. So I don't, I don't know what to do with those kind of movies. You go back in them, you enjoy them. I love blue is the warmest color. When I saw it, I thought it was one of my favorite movies of that year, but I, I haven't seen it since. Although we do know that Leah Sidhu is, is now one of the great actors uh, working, but uh, it, it was, it, it entered the realm of possible blue movies, I suppose. Okay. Okay. Blue velvet was not going to be mentioned. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. At least I haven't I haven't seen Blue Velvet. Okay, it's an honorable mention. Honorable mention. All right. Well, number two on my list. I, I find it funny that Zach earlier said that there are no good green movies because uh, number two on my list is a green movie. I thought about how green was my valley, um, but I actually went with the Green Mile. Ah, and uh, nice. the, the uh, Frank Darabont movie with Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan, David Morris, Barry Pepper, Bonnie Hunt, James Cromwell, I mean, Sam Rockwell. It's got a great cast. Patricia Clarkson's in it. Harry Dean Stanton. Um, it's a great it's a great cast, but it's a really cool story and uh, and just a kind of a beautiful portrait of this of this time and this character and kind of verging on fantastical at times but really grounded at the same time it, it's it's just a it's just a really cool movie so number two is green mile awesome i've, I've seen it once so I, I i i should watch it again sometime i remember really liking it like many yeah. others on the list it's been a while since i've seen it too but i i loved it when i did terry did you ever see the youtube clip of tom hanks at michael clark duncan's funeral no great youtube clip did. great but awesome just you know tom hanks is a great actor but also a great human being and he, he has a great story about michael clark duncan joining a gang uh it, well it was a story that michael clark duncan related to him it's it's a awesome um great youtube clip i think it's the it's the second best funeral story clip on youtube after kevin costner at whitney houston's funeral which is a great clip that i i actually think i've mentioned on this podcast before you have yeah all right, Todd, number two. My number two, uh, this is going to be, as uh, Zach coined it on our top 100 episode, some white heat bullshit, because <laughs> white white heat is my number two. Yes. Uh, this is the coolest gangster movie pre-Godfather. James Cagney was one of my one of my guys. Like uh, He had these movies where they're glorifying gangsters, but this one has more heart. It's, uh, it's a little bit more complicated plot. He's got like a mother complex, which uh, fuels his fire and like uh, the iconic final quote of the movie and then it also looks really great like raul walsh was like an underrated director I, I i don't ever see him mentioned as like the great classic film directors but he was really great and i love white heat it's my number two it was in my top 100 so 
how to be on there. Very nice. Very nice. Still never seen it. <laughs> Either have I. So we'll take your word for it. All right, Zach, number two. All right, number two for me is I think uh, the best animated movie ever made. It is The Red Turtle from 2016. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, I've talked about this movie a lot on this podcast. I absolutely love it. It is a silent animated movie that is basically the plot of Castaway. You get a guy who kind of washes ashore on this deserted island, and uh, he doesn't necessarily find FedEx packages, but he does find a turtle um, with sort of mythical powers. And I'll kind of leave it at that if you haven't seen the movie. It kind of um, looks at uh, how he basically spends a good chunk of the remainder of his life on this island attempting to escape. But there's a lot of kind of metaphysical things that happen. It has a look of a Studio Ghibli movie, but it's not quite. Um, the, the animator's name is Michael Duduk, uh, who also did a short animated movie called Father and Daughter that won an Oscar uh, for animated short the year it came out. And this guy is, I think, one of the best uh, animators in the world. He's phenomenal. Um, this movie is like a deeply moving. It's deeply philosophical, metaphysical, but beautiful to look at. And the fact that there's no dialogue and yet it's entertaining for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes speaks to the the, the quality of the of the storytelling and the look. And uh, it's I think it's probably the best animated movie ever made. I, I, I'll just I'll just throw that out there. They can put that on the letterbox uh, description of it. Best best animated movie ever made from the Almost Sideways podcast. At least I, I would say it. But uh, it's it was certainly my favorite animated movie of uh, the decade. OK. I mean, it's a good one. <laughs> Not the best anime movie ever made. It, it it is a good one. It is a good one, and I I considered putting it on the list, but but Red Dragon deserved to be above it. If I didn't, well, that okay, was definitely so the best color that we had to work. That's with, right? exactly what I was gonna say. There were a shit ton of red movies that yeah. were great. It red is red. That was like that was like the uh, the region of death, right? Like in the World Cup, red was the region that no one wanted to be stuck in because there were a lot of great red movies. All right. Well, number one, it's it's kind of already been spoiled, but I will say, if red was the best uh, best color, black was the second best color, because you you had a lot of you had a lot of movies. Like I considered. I think like, I had any other blacks written down? Yeah, and me neither. I had, I, had, I had blues. I don't know. I I went through and I I found all the thumbs up movies I had that had colors on it. So I had like. Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. Black Klansman, Black Panther. Um, there, there were. I, I had some other ones on there. Black Hawk Down. Um, but the one that's number one is Black Swan. Uh, it was a top twenty movie of all time uh, for me when we did that last uh, last summer. Uh, and it is it is just a brilliant movie that is trippy. That, but it's it's just constantly keeping you guessing. Uh, Natalie Portman might have given the performance of the decade in that movie. Um, just a, just a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, Aronofsky using his, uh, his skills as a director and his, his tendencies toward the, toward the, the supernatural almost at, to its best in Black Swan. So that's my, that's my number one. Todd, you had it on your list. Yeah, that was my number four. I also previously mentioned this movie on our unexpected performances of the 2010s list for Mila Kunis and movies with animal in the title with an animal title, which I don't remember doing. <laughs> <But> apparently <laughs> I, 
mentioned it there. Uh, I thought this is, you know, obviously Aronofsky's Oscar nomination, finally long overdue. And uh, it was a monster. Can we go back to 2010 when like, you know, the box office was such in good, such good shape that we had this like indie weird dark ass rated R movie making a hundred million dollars at the box office. Like, I mean, that that's crazy. And uh, I, I love the duality of the black swan of Mila Kunis and the, the white swan of Nellie Portman. It's, it's a fantastic movie. And yeah, it's a good choice for number one. I'm glad I'm, I, I forgot that you had in your top 20, but uh, that's pretty awesome. Honestly, I kind of did too, until I went and looked at my top a hundred and like, Oh, Oh yeah. That was in my top 20. I, I probably, yeah, that, that needs to go at the top of the list then. So, yeah. and yeah, black swan, green mile and on golden pond were all in my top 100. All right, Todd, number one. My number one is another ballerina movie. It's The Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, it had to be there. Like, uh, It's about this girl, Vicky. She's like torn between her consuming life of being a ballerina and her search for romance. It's a masterpiece in every sense of the word. Cinematography, art direction. The final dance sequence is one of the most hypnotic things of all time. I I mean, I, I think all of, like, yeah, all the below line categories, it could have, it could be in my all-time list of, of it. it's an amazing movie. It's it's probably the most also important color use in the title of any movie I have on my list. And I I don't know if I ever would have actually come across a movie of Scorsese didn't have it as his number one of all time. Like I I don't think I ever I it's probably it's one that would have probably been forgotten in in time. And uh, but I'm glad that he uncovered it because it's an amazing movie. It's and it had to be my number one. Very nice. Never seen it. I need to see it too. That's a shame. I know. Shit, Adam's on the on the board with the red shoes. I, I know he is. It's in his top ten of all time. Spoiler alert. I might be <laughs> predicting it number one. <laughs> all right, Zach. What's your number one? All right, I'm gonna I, say, I think I know. I think I know, but let's see if I think I think right. I know too. I, I don't know if we were predicting the same one though. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say my number one, but you could call bullshit on me and actually be fairly uh valid. I'm just going to go with it. We'll see what happens. I'm going to go with Krzysztof Kieslowski's Red, White, Blue. Bullshit. It's the Three Colors Trilogy. <laughs> now, yes, you could call bullshit on it because I have mentioned Red, White, and Blue movies. So, I, what, Ver, Terry, what's the verdict? I mean, technically, it's... No, not that because you, you're, you're missing one of blue. your all-time favorites. That means, that's what I'm saying. Well, okay, but the reason why I can't put Jackie Brown on the list is because the color isn't significant. It's that's not the name. one I was gonna go with. That's the one I oh. was thinking. What, what? What were you thinking? The gray zone. Oh, oh yeah, the gray I, zone too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's a Zach like fifteen years ago movie. I, I think I've outgrown <laughs> that movie. Let's kind of like how Tarantino said. Your number one of your one. number one year of all time. No, like, it's not my number one of O two. I would never put it my number one of O two now. That, Okay. Never, never. You you need it to have a, a summer movie, project of updating your top tens for me. So well, I, can I update the website. Hey, how about updating my top one hundred? And didn't it wasn't even in my top one hundred when we did it last summer. Um anyway, the the uh I'm gonna stick with the three colors trilogy because it's just cool and no one else is gonna mention it. And uh I, I love those movies. I rewatched them uh last summer. Uh I think my favorite and I know I've mentioned them on the podcast a couple times. I, I think my favorite one in the trilogy is red. Uh, which is about this uh, kind of strange relationship between um, the uh, Irene Jacob, who is a student, and this judge who kind of lives across the street from her. Uh, like the best of Kieslowski's movies, it's kind of about blind chance. Um, all these movies are about women. They're very women-centered movies. Uh, none of them take place in the same country. 
all of them have kind of elements like the Decalogue where you see things that reappear several times. Like, for example, there's a uh, uh, there, there's pe there's elderly people putting bottles in a bottle depository, and uh, you think it's just sort of insignificant. By the, but by the time you reach Red, which is the last one in the trilogy, something interesting happens. There's a payoff to it. Um, a lot, all three of them are about relationships that are cross country, cross borders, and uh, you know the movie's about French identity. But Kieslowski was not a, a French director; he was a Polish director. Um, but the movie is kind of about European Europeanism. Um, and uh, fate, circumstance, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, but just beautifully done movies. Blue, I think, is one of the best sort of um, uh, elegiac movies, movies about loss, movies about how you're able to, I would put it as like in the bedroom territory, at least the, the first, uh, you know, two thirds of in the bedroom. Um, and White is actually sort of a droll movie. It's a little bit reminiscent of the stamp uh, story in Decalogue. I think that was Decalogue 10. Um, and uh, Kieslowski was just a great film. Filmmaker. I had this as my number one last movie by a filmmaker. I think Kieslowski may have done a TV movie afterwards, but uh, he was such a great director. I, I, I wish I had been alive during the time when he was making movies. Um, but these movies are just terrific, one after another. And uh, yeah, I, you know, it's 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 the colors list. So why not have the three colors trilogy as your number one? I mean, you guys aren't going to have it. You're going to have your Black Swan. I get my three colors trilogy. I'll take that in any day. Because I haven't seen the colors trilogy. I haven't either. I will well, say though, I almost put the uh, uh, red, white, and blue part of the Small Axe anthology on my list. I thought about that one too, although I know you're the biggest fan of it of the three of us. But that was that that did enter my. Uh... So would that have taken up three colors, like Zach should have? <laughs> I, I would. I would have considered it taking up three colors. Yes. That would have made your list very interesting. Well, I, red is the only one of those three colors that was on my list. I didn't have white or blue. So, so Todd, you thought that the gray zone was going to be my number one as well. I thought no. Jackie Brown was going to be number one. Oh, okay. Or at least on the list. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, yeah, I, it probably is ridiculous. I just thought it was, I, I we talk, I talk about Jackie Brown all the time. Let, let's, you know, but yeah, I don't have the gray zone in my top 100 anymore, Terry. So, so get with the times, man. So, so I think what you need to do is uh, like once a week, you just need to update one of your top tens for me. And uh, and then we can have a, a little slightly more updated because right now th this is your top. Uh, oh, I had it here a second ago. Here is your oh, uh, your top ten of two thousand two on oh, the website. Geez. No, no. Number ten, changing lanes. Number <laughs> okay, nine. That's a good in one. Insomnia is number nine. That's a good one too. Number eight, the pianist. I haven't seen uh, in a while, but number seven, good. bowling for Columbine. Number He's six, so mine. Number six, Minority Report. Well, as we discussed last week, that would not be a, that would it, it might be in the top ten still that year, but not not top one hundred all time. Number five, Talk to Her. Number great, four, Twenty Fifth Hour. Great movie. Number three, Punch Drunk Love. Great movie. Obviously. Number two, Far from Heaven. And number so, one, The Gray Zone. Me, it's The Gray Zone. That's the only one that needs to be taken out. Maybe just move all of them up one. Okay. We'll, we'll well, call that good. Then then you you do that. You let okay. me know right, how I'll, to, I'll how to adjust it, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. All right, uh, let's go five to one, and then we'll talk about some honorable mentions. Uh, so for me, number five, Silver Linings Playbook. Number four, Red Dragon. Number three, On Golden Pond. Uh, number two, The Green Mile. Number one, Black Swan. Number five, Clockwork Orange. Number four, Black Swan. Number three, Blue Story. Number two, White Heat. And number one, The, the Red Shoes. Wow. Back 
that was a these are Todd and Terry lists. You, you, you nailed our personalities with this list. Um, number five, a white, white day from Iceland. Number four from Vietnam is the scent of green papaya. Number three, blue Valentine. Number two, the red turtle. And number one from France by way of, of Poland, uh, the three colors trilogy. Maybe Jackie Brown, but we're going to go with Three Colors Trilogy. I mean, you, you talk about it nailing our personalities. You have a top five with a top five with seven movies and only one of them is American. I, I think that nails your personality mm. quite well, too. Yeah, so. perfect. <laughs> All right. Honorable mentions. I, I have a bunch written down, but I'm just going to mention a few. Uh, the, the best movie with the color in it from this year so far is Turning Red. Um, Then... uh. And uh, a, a forgotten movie that I found that I was like, ooh, I could put that on the list if if it wasn't for another movie that had the same color. But Curse of the Golden Flower. I really liked that movie. I need to watch it again. Yeah. It's been a long time, but I really like that one. And then um, some some lesser uh, used colors that uh, may... One, one definitely counts, but two that are kind of like borderline. Do they count as a color? But I, I'll mention them here. First, uh, Crimson Peak is a pretty cool movie, Guillermo del Toro. And I, it might be the only Crimson movie other than like Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide was on my honorable mention. Oh, it was? Okay. <laughs> uh, then the other ones, uh, Moulin Rouge. Rouge, it, mm. I mean, that's... Mm. It, it's debatable if you can call that a color. And then probably the most questionable, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Is chocolate a color? I would say chocolate's no. a color. I don't think so. No way. See, I was asking my wife, like... Is, can I say Iron Man? Is iron a color? And she's like, no, no. He's looking at me still, like, no, you're, you're a dumbass. No, that's not a color. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Todd. Uh, so I have quite a few. The only top 100 movie that I couldn't do because it was a repeat color was Red River, which is one of the great Westerns of all time. I had two that would have also been on my list if they weren't disqualified. The Thin Red Line and The Thin Blue Line. Both are fantastic movies. Uh, I also have Jackie Brown, Crimson Tide, Snow White was also on my honorable mention. Blue is Gormous Color, Blue Velvet, Red Dragon, all of which have been mentioned. The ones that haven't, uh, Red Rock West, I I love that movie, and Nick, uh, a cager. Blue, uh, Re Raise the Red Lantern, the Yimbu Zhang movie from the 90s. It's a great one. Uh, Yuli's Gold, which I think I'm probably the biggest fan of that movie in the world. Uh, and one that I was surprised Zach didn't put on his list is tangerine i know he loves that movie but oh, it, I thought that. he was gonna it's not a that's color. absolutely that's absolutely a color i'd say if you can find a crayola with that name it's a color and the color does play a prominent role in the visual palette of that movie so it probably should count all right zach what are your Good honorable point. mentions um i had uh the white ribbon um white palace uh, with James Spader and Susan Sarandon, a total Todd movie. I don't know if he'd watch it because it's not streaming, but it, you should watch it, Todd. It's really, really good. Uh, Forgotten Silver, the Peter Jackson mockumentary. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's like 50 minutes long, made in the mid-90s. Hilarious making of a fake movie. Just really, really well done. Uh, White God, which is basically the Jurassic Park dominion of stray dogs that have run and controlled the world. Really good movie. La Notte Bianca from 1957, an Italian movie that was later remade with uh, Joaquin Phoenix as two lovers. That was during the Joaquin Phoenix I'm Quitting Acting era. Um, Blue Car, which I believe you've both seen. Oh, nice. Very good movie. Uh, Blue Ruin, obviously great movie. Blue Collar Comedy Tour, the movie. I mean, come on. You might be a redneck if you like this movie. 
Um, I was actually going to put Les Cirque Rouge, the uh, Jean-Pierre Melville movie, on my top five. But the problem with it is I really don't remember what it was about. I just remember liking it. And that's a problem with Melville movies. You can never really describe their plot. Even when I, I watched Les Doulos last summer and Todd chastised me for only giving it three stars. It's because I can't I can't recall the plots of those movies, even if I, after I've watched them. They're just so contrived. But they're good movies. Uh, the Red Balloon, winner of 1956, best screenplay, a 30-minute long French movie with no dialogue. Love it. Um, Negro y Azul from season two of uh, Breaking Bad, the episode with Tortuga on, with his head on the tortoise. And then finally, I had to give a special shout out. So uh, I really like the documentary RGB, which Todd does not like. Um, I gave my star rating to Terry, but I think he misinterpreted it. He thought I saw a movie called RGB Red, Blue, Green. And so on our website, it says I have seen this movie from 2005 called RGB Red, Blue, Green. It says I gave it three stars. It has 13 votes on IMDb. Um, it's like it's like three different countries, each of them filming their own separate stories. It sounds like the Three Colors trilogy. There's no way I could ever get this movie. It's not streaming anywhere, but I'm intrigued that Terry still put it on the list, that I gave it three stars, apparently. I really kind of want to watch RGB Red, Green, Blue from 2005. When did I put this on the list? It's on the website. I know it's on the here. website, but where did I get this? I know I I never even heard it's of been it. It's a long sounds, I mean it it's not really interesting. They were filmed in Brazil, Thailand and Croatia. It's been it's been on this for a while because yeah, there's there's some things on here RGB, that aren't updated shout that out. Aren't on the other one. Good grief. That is a come to the stable. Uh, it's just a Zach come to the stable, but it is a Zach come to the stable if there ever was one. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's at the library. I w- in I'm like gonna have to DVD uh, box. I'm gonna have to look up how I found that. But if I if this is what I thought, I mean, it's RGB, not RBG. Right. So. Right. RBG but, but is the documentary. They might have emailed them RGB instead of RBG or something. I don't know yeah. whose fault it was, but somehow our, our wires got crossed, a la Deadfall. But uh, I, I'm intrigued by our RGB, and the fact that I gave it three stars already, it, it bodes well. Probably it bodes well like for it, it yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure that out. Yeah. Huh. Weird. Okay. <laughs> So that three star is supposed to go on our go on RBG. Got it. Yes. But you can keep it on RGB. I'm one of the. I, I can, we can pretend I'm one of the 13 people who've seen it. There we go. There I we bet go. I'd like it. Sounds good. How many people have seen Strummer now? I'm. I'm that's what I want to know. That's a great question. <laughs> Strummer should be an honorable mention, even though it's not a color. But and there wasn't uh, any color in the movie. Strummer's up to 23 votes. What Get was it at library. when you guys saw it? I think five. You were two of the five. No, I think it went up to eight after Todd after saw it. We talked about it. Yeah. All right. He's not bad. We never <laughs> interviewed that guy, even though we got no, permission Clark. to. He said he, said he Cody would. Clark, Cody Clark and Ratman, two of the breakout stars we, of 2020. That we could still get Cody Clark on here. Stars. Like he said he would do it. Like we actually have confirmed a confirmed tweet saying I'll totally do it. So we, we, we got to get, get him that Marvel movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. There we go. All right. Let's uh let's guess Adam's list here. And uh, and where he went. All right. Uh, I'll go first here. Here's my guess. Number five, The Green Knight. Uh, number four, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Wow. Uh, number three, A Clockwork Orange. Number two, Blue Valentine. Number one, The Red Shoes. Todd. 
All right, I have number five, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, number four, Golden Eye. Number three, A Clockwork Orange. Two, Blue Valentine. One, The Red Shoes. Zach. Number five, A Clockwork Orange. Number four, The Green Mile. Number three, Black Swan. Number two, Blue Valentine. And number one, The Red Shoes. Okay, here we go. Adam's list here, honorable mentions. He has uh, Dead Snow 2, Red versus Dead. Yes. <laughs> the Green Knight is on his honorable mention. Soylent Green, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Batman Under the Red Hood. Oh, we should have yeah. said animated Batman. Uh, Goldeneye, Red Dragon, and the Neon Demon. Is Neon a color? I mean, it's like a it's like a classification of color. I don't think it's color. Well, it's on his honorable mention, so we'll count it. Number five, Jackie Brown. Uh, number four, Black Swan. Number three, A Clockwork Orange. Zach number won. two, Blue Valentine. Number one, The Red Shoes. Zach won because he got Black Swan. I originally had Jackie Brown. I took it off for Clockwork Orange. Well, Clockwork Orange was well, in Clockwork his top Orange 100. Clockwork Orange was on his so. list, so yeah. I'm curious what his list was before. Okay, so if he couldn't have uh, if he couldn't have his top 100 movies on it, his list was number five, Goldeneye, number four, Red Dragon, number three, Jackie Brown, number two, The Neon Demon, number one, Black Swan. Neon is not a color. It's a car. Well, then it's a good thing he changed it. <laughs> it's a car. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Zach wins. That is win number... 26 for Zach. Terry has 24 and a half. And I have, uh, looks like 40. We're, we're catching up. We're, we're, we are like, I haven't won if, one you, in a while, if so. you put our two together, we have more than he does. I haven't won one in a while either. I think Terry had won the last three, I want to say. Last two at least. So Zach gets to pick our next category in a couple weeks. But now. It is time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And, which I also won last time. So I got to assign you guys something to watch. Uh, we're going to go to Zach first because I'm much more interested in what Zach has to say about his movie than what Todd has to say about his. So, uh, Zach, what did you watch and what did you think? What did I? Oh, I watched. I watched uh, Swan Song. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, was, I forgot that for a second. Swan Song. <laughs> uh, weren't there two Swan Songs last year? Yes. I hope I watched the right one. The one on Apple TV Plus with yeah, Mahershala Ali. Ali. I thought yeah. about making an, another Deadfall, but we've done enough of that. So, yeah. uh, Swan Song with Mahershala Ali. Terry's number two movie of last year. Now it's kind of interesting. I gotta say, it kind of. I it kind of paralleled nine days a little bit. I got serious nine days vibes from this movie. The very similar themes, very similar movies in a lot of ways. Anyway, uh, Swan Song is uh, directed by Benjamin Cleary. It is about uh, Mahershala Ali. He plays Cameron, and it is a movie set in the near future. Now it's interesting. I watched this movie right on the heels of our Minority Report podcast. And I actually really like the way this movie handles the future. It's not quite as in your face as Minority Report. And I think it's I was the better the same for it. thing after we talked. Minority yeah, it's like Report. a little more subtle. Like one of my favorite things about the future in Swan Song is the self-driving cabs um, or Ubers. They're, they're, they're uh, <laughs> uh, four chairs that just face each other. 
which I think is a great way to travel. Um, and I also kind of like the, uh, the, the, the messages that kind of show up just in space, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, it's su subtly, it doesn't throw it, throw it at you, which I kind of like. Anyway, the, the story is about Mahershala Ali's Cameron, um, in spite of the advances we've made in the future, unfortunately, we still haven't solved the issue of, um, uh, epileptic seizures, which this guy has, and he is facing, um, basically a terminal illness, but he does not want to tell his family. Boy, that's a great premise for any movie or TV show. But uh, so he doesn't want to tell his family, of course. And so he goes to uh, this strange doctor medical establishment. Uh, the doctor is played by Glenn Close. Her name is Dr. Joe Scott. I don't remember her name ever being mentioned in the movie, but she is the doctor. And uh, <coughs> for uh, some unknown fee, uh, she can duplicate his DNA uh, genomes and basically make a clone of Mahershala uh, that can live out the rest of his life with his family, free and clear of the seizures, so they do not have to go through the pain and suffering of him dying. Um, you know, obviously, very sweet, very melancholic uh, storyline. This movie is slow. I mean, Terry talked about how the first hour of Jurassic Park Dominion went on forever. This movie has a cool premise. I love Mahershala Ali, but it is so slow. I just kept waiting for, okay, let's get the clone out there. Let's get him with the family. And then obviously Mahershala has a change of heart somewhere and realizes, no, I actually want to be with my family. Screw the clone. I'll kill him. It'll turn into a Blade Runner type thing. Uh, humans versus robots. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted this movie to be more goofy CGI, but obviously it wasn't. Um, and uh, it was just, it was just too slow, Terry. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I liked the idea of it, but let's get the clone out there at the 30 minute mark not the one hour and 30 minute mark okay we don't need all the flashbacks of what a great guy he was and how sad it is that he's gonna have to leave his family and you know the clone it did, even did the thing that was really interesting where the clone has one feature on his body that is different than Mahershala's original body and that is a freckle on the hand and I kept thinking okay the movie's got to do something with that right that's a MacGuffin that's some sort of tell and it never does anything with it. It just kind of lingers there. It, it floats it out there and never develops it in any meaningful way, unless I miss something. I didn't fall asleep during this movie, interestingly enough, even though it was boring. Um, I don't know. I liked it, but in the same spirit as Nine Days, it's like saturine melancholy. That's like the, the, the mood that it has. That's the aura that it possesses. And I wish that it had a little bit more inertia. I wish that there was a little bit more heightened suspense and drama instead of let's just everybody hug each other and feel bad for Mahershala because he's dying. No, let's get that clone out of the picture. Let's take him out. Let's do something more interesting. I know you like it, Terry. I don't want to shit on it too much. I shit on nine days enough. God God knows. But uh, I give this movie two, two and a half stars. Um, again, Mahershala is great in it. He's great in everything. I think he's now making sort of a, a, a pivot in his career where he's just great in, um, you know, mediocre movies. But I just, I, this movie is so slow and sad and just let's, let's, let's have something happen. Anything can happen. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, one of the things I loved about it is how slow it was and that nothing happens. I mean, because it makes it such a simple story. Like like you said, you keep, keep on waiting for something else to happen. But instead, it's it's this true character study of of this of this guy and and what he's going through. And I mean, you, you said, oh, we're all just going to going to hug and and um, and feel bad for poor old Mahersh Ali. But the thing is. He's doing stuff to make himself to make it so nobody does that. I, and I, I just find that mm. fascinating. This whole idea that 
he would uh, bring all the suffering on himself so that his family doesn't have to suffer. And it's just melancholy saturating. That, that that's the only way I can say it. And like I just it felt like the good it felt like a good first half of a movie, but it needed to go somewhere. And I think by the hour and a half point when you realize, okay, yeah, Mahershal is a good husband and good father. I think we get it. Let's and and I think we get that this clone has been programmed and they, they go, it is a lot of scenery with the clone getting programmed and ready to, to be in the house. It's like, okay, we get it. Let's maybe let's do like a Charlie Kaufman, Donald Kaufman thing. Let's maybe do a, you know, the one I loved type thing. I've, we've seen this done in other movies before this movie again, plays it more straight. I'll give you that. And it's a, it's more emotional than those other movies. But to me, it just was just sort of lethargic. See, I thought, I thought it was, it was, hypnotic and and just pulled you like you said you didn't fall asleep even though I did not it was, fall asleep, it was slow and and you're saying it's boring i mean you fall asleep during during jurassic world and top gun but you don't didn't fall asleep I, during this i agree i will also concede that i bet if i had seen this movie in a theater i maybe would have given it three stars mm, I, I could see that i could see that um, todd what are your thoughts i honestly don't remember it that well i i know i said it was the worst of the two uh uh, swan songs but i don't know maybe i fell asleep i i really i honestly don't remember very much so the first time i watched this i watched it on my ipad with headphones in which i think kind of helped too because it it forces you to that's all you're hearing and it draws you into it a little bit more just that's all that's all that's in your head um also one thing you didn't mention great supporting performance from aquafina like i thought she was i thought she was great okay as, as uh, I thought she was great, uh, and the the little bit of uh, the few scenes they had together there was were really cool too. I don't know, I, I Nine Days and Swan Song. I thought they were incredibly original in how they approached some like amazingly like existential questions, and were extremely simple in uh, in their execution of futuristic ideas, and so that. I just love that about both those movies. So, by the way, Zach, you mentioned the one I love. Like, I I found out literally this week that the director of that movie is the son of Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, Charlie I McDowell. knew that Charlie McDowell. Yeah, I did not know that. I was like, that makes no sense. But okay, I like it. <laughs> is that as surprising or more surprising than Campbell Scott being the son of George C. Scott? I mean, that's the real well, Campbell, revelation. Campbell Scott has been in my conscience a lot longer, so that is more surprising for sure. That, rem that reminds me of when I found out just a, like a week or two ago that uh, Wyatt Russell, who was the new Captain America from Falcon the Winter Soldier, is Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son. Yeah, I knew that. I didn't know that. I, he kind of looks like Kurt Russell, though. He does, now that I see it. Did I say it on the podcast last week? I couldn't remember if it was on air or just. Or, or I remember air. hearing it last week from you, so maybe yeah. it was an option. Maybe I don't know. I don't another know one, another one I was just reading about: Jennifer Jason Lee, the daughter of Vic Morrow. Now I don't really remember Vic Morrow that well, but we all know how he died. And when he died in the Twilight Zone, the movie disaster with John Landis was like the same month that Fast Times came out. I don't know how this didn't come up on our podcast, but that's sort of interesting. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> All right. I got nothing. Swan okay. songs. Uh, Swan song would have been better in a theater. I'll give you that. So, okay. so would nine days. Nine days. I did see in a theater, which I, think I bet it would have been definitely better. helped. Yeah. Help that. 
I haven't forgotten nine days. I don't I, I can't love the movie, but I respect I respect you your love of that movie more so than than uh, Swan Song. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll take I'll, I'll take that. They don't leave you. That that's that's one thing that, that you can say about them. All right. Todd. <laughs> I uh, so every time I have to assign Todd something, it is a it is a chore and a journey to just find something I've seen that he hasn't. And so uh this one, I got to exploit one of one of his soft spots, and I'm really curious to see see what he thought because I watched it yesterday too to to prepare for this. So <laughs> that's a, um, that's summer. So yeah, uh, I say I gave it two stars on the on the on the website. What you did? You did. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, tell tell us about what you watched. Uh, I watched "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," directed by Busby Berkeley in 1949. That's a great name, Busby Berkeley. Uh, but it's about a couple ball players played by Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly, and they work in vaudeville uh, when they're not playing ball. The owner is the girlfriend of uh, Gene Kelly's character, Eddie. Very Bull Durham vibes there. Uh, and there is also this mobster who's trying to get them to tank, sort of, so he can bet against them, and he offers Eddie a spot on his big production uh, to get him away from the game. Classic Hollywood musical silliness. The pageantry of baseball at the time is kind of special, sort of like college football at the time. It kind of made me want to rewatch Leatherheads or something. Like I think it's an underrepresented, underrepresented era in sports movies because like you don't really get a whole lot from from that era. But um, it's, it's also a weird trend of naming uh, the movie after a song that wasn't original to the movie. That that was a thing for like 40, 50 years. It's kind of it's still kind of weird to me, but it certainly is a showcase for Gene Kelly, who he's also a writer on the movie along with Stanley Donan. Like he looks like an athlete. Well, Sinatra kind of looks like a, like a cartoon of like a baseball announcer or something. I don't know. He definitely doesn't look like a, a player. <laughs> Just, uh, but I, I, I can take him as a second baseman. I, I can buy that. <laughs> oh, Chuck Knobloch in there or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, watching Kelly do his thing could warrant recommending watching anything, basically. But th- there's no reason this had to be about baseball. The musical parts are entertaining, but uh, you never really get fully invested in the story, I guess. It's, it's super chaotic. I mean, it's a classic Hollywood musical. It, it, it never fully figures out the right tone. But, I mean, it's super cornball, but it's light and watchable, and I'm giving it two and a half stars. Yeah, uh, it, it's one that definitely you look back on and you go, oh, this couldn't be made the same way it was made then today. I mean, the the, the song that they sing to the team about their exploits in the offseason and all the girls they found, that there's so many things wrong with that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I will say, though, the thing that bothers me the most about this movie is uh, Jules Munchen, the, the Goldberg, the first baseman, is... The worst portrayal of a baseball player I have ever seen. Uh, it, it, it's it's let's take the the most Broadway of Broadway, uh, you know, so, someone out of like cabaret and put him into a into a baseball uniform and throw him out there. However, one thing that's kind of cool is this is the same trio from On the Town. Um, so uh, Sinatra, Kelly, and Munchen were the three the three sailors in On the Town. So that was that's kind of cool. And uh, you, you just kind of mentioned in passing the owner. It, the owner is Esther Williams, who was like the the like water star of MGM musicals at the time. Like they had a special pool built in the back of, of the MGM lot to film Esther Williams movies. And so that's why you, you only have one scene of her in the pool. But uh, it's kind of cool to see her in that, too. So she was a big star also. But yeah, 
I knew the Gene Kelly-ness of it was going to be a, a draw for you. Yeah, he looks like he could have been an athlete in almost any sport. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Not Sinatra. And, <laughs> and the mobster that's out to fix the season is the same guy who plays uh, Jim Taylor in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the uh, the uh, corrupt lobbyist that, that's controlling the state. Mm. So uh, I, 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 I keep on forgetting that until I watch it again. I'm like, oh, hey, I know that face. So that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, it, it's a it's a fun movie. It's kind of a silly movie. You're right; it has nothing to do about baseball, but uh, it uh, it, it it's so it's it's Sinatra, and it's Kelly, and that's all you really need to know. Yeah, it's I mean, like it's light, it's watchable. It's... And you said yeah. you'd never even heard of it before, right? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I knew it was a movie. Yeah. So it it's I've actually seen this movie, even though on the website it says I haven't. I remember oh. nothing of it. I gave it three stars according to my personal database. I remember the, the the thing that the most memorable thing about it is that the two main characters' names are Ryan and O'Brien. Yeah. Which I think today a screenwriter would say, no, 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 those two names are too similar. <laughs> they they rhyme. They sound the same. Let's make them a little different. But whatever reason, they they made them very similar. And uh, yeah, I saw this movie in a, in a class that I took as a master's student called Baseball and Cinema. Where we watched all baseball movies, and and this was yeah, that's what happens in higher education, and uh, <laughs> it's a very you rigorous class, very rigorous class, and uh, uh, yes, I remember nothing about it. I probably fell asleep during it, but I did give it three stars with Ryan and O'Brien. There, there, there's a whole there's a whole musical number about the double play combination of O'Brien to Ryan to Goldberg, and uh, which is a which is a fairly good song. That, that one works pretty well, but. Do you know that there are not very many good baseball movies? I'll just put that out there. I, I mean, a league of their own is obviously a, a class of its own. But after after uh, fifteen weeks of that class, that was the definitive conclusion I came to. <laughs> there, uh, there is at least like twelve great baseball movies. Obviously, those aren't the ones you watched. Take take a baseball film history class because I know there's so many that are offered, and uh, you'll discover that there are not. Well, there, there are a lot of bad ones too, but they're also probably the most baseball of any sport. Baseball is the least cinematic sport. Basketball is. The it most also has the best movies, sport. other than boxing. Oh, that's ridiculous! I know Todd basketball is the worst. Todd, they're the worst basketball movies. Todd and I agree none of them understand the, uh, basketball. What Terry needs the, the, the worst baseball movie is Mister Three Thousand. Oh yeah, that one was horrible. What you need to see Terry is bang the drum slowly. Yeah, history, I know. Maybe. Because that is maybe the biggest, outside of history of violence, the biggest t- disagreement between me and Todd. I, that movie was unwatchably, laughably bad when I watched it in that class. But Todd is a huge fan of it because he likes De Niro. Yeah. Yes, I need to watch that one. Okay. Well, let's move on into trivia now. And I'm hosting here, and we're going we're gonna to do some... Uh, some traditional back to the basics Oscars trivia here. So uh, I, I've got we're, we've got two years here. We're going to go through, uh, and here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give the year. You have to give a movie that was nominated that year. If you give me a movie that was nominated, you get a point. If you give me a movie that won, you get two points. I like this. More category. Nice and simple. Any any category, any any feature film category. 
So this this includes the the docs. This includes the foreign films. This includes shorts. animated. How no long shorts. is this going to last? <laughs> as long as it can, as long as it can go. So, uh, we're going to start. Um, so wait, you said if it, win, if it won something, then it it has. If it two won points? something, you get two points. If what it if it was, was nominated, nominated like a shit ton of times? That's it, one point. Okay. It, it, yeah, it has to have won to get you two points. All right. So uh, the first year we're going to do is uh, we're going back 25 years, 1997. Uh, there were 42 movies nominated for an Oscar in 1997. And let's see how uh, let's see how long we can go and how uh, how this how this goes. Oh, so I can we, go all night, baby. We we are going to start. Wait, so how does this work? Do we get strikes and then we go uh, another year? Or what? what are you doing? I, I've I've got two years. I've okay. got two years. So uh, I think as soon as you miss one, you're out. Okay. And the other person can keep going. All right. We're going to start this one. Um, let's see here. We're going to start with Zach. Uh, as uh, Sean Connery said when he presented the best picture, Titanic. Titanic is correct. It gets you two points. It was nominated a crap ton of times. <laughs> I, 14, I, I believe. 14. LA Confidential. LA Confidential also is a winner. That's two points for Todd. As good as it gets. As good as it gets. Also was uh, a winner twice. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting also was a winner. Just going down the best picture lineup here, uh, but also with winners here. So that uh, that is correct. Mrs. Brown. Mrs. Brown. Helen Hunt said that uh, correct. She, uh, she gave the best performance in that movie, and she saw it three times. Uh, Mrs. Brown is correct. Nominated twice, did not win, so you only get one point for it. Damn. Uh, the Full Monty. The Full Monty was nominated four times, and it won something. So God, what did it win? I don't have that down here. I can look it up really quick, though. That was it. Uh, wasn't screenplay. I don't no. think so. Let me see. It's probably um, like score, like maybe yeah, comedy score. comedy score. That sounds right. Uh, it won. Yeah, comedy score. That was it. All right, Zach. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights had three nominations. Nothing won though. That is correct. One point. Uh, you, Yuli's Gold. Your favorite movie. Yuli's Gold is correct. It had one nomination. Uh, Men in Black. Men in Black nice. had three nominations and one win. That is correct. So that's two points. It was the one award. It was the one below the line award that Titanic didn't win. I think it was like makeup or something. It was makeup. You're correct. Uh, Kundun. Kundun won or not didn't win. It was nominated four times though, so that gets you one point. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown got the one nomination for Robert Forster. That is correct. One point. Uh, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco got one nomination. That is correct. The Apostle. 
The Apostle. Let's see here. The Apostle. Robert Duvall. Didn't die in the first 15 minutes, sadly. Probably would have made the movie better. If he got lead actor, he would not have died in the first 15 minutes. Uh, All right, Todd? Uh, The Sweet Hereafter. The Sweet Hereafter had two nominations. That is correct. Afterglow. Afterglow. Damn, bitch. Christie. You got it. Correct. Amistad. Oh, Amistad yeah. got four nominations. Correct. Oh boy. Okay. Let me think here for a second. Um, <laughs> I think I have one. I don't know if I want to say it yet, though. Um. Oh, screw it. The the wings of the dove. The Wings of the Dove had four nominations, yes. including uh, Helena Bonham Carter for Actress. There we go. That is correct. Has anyone seen that movie? I don't I think haven't. so. At some point I saw it, yeah. Oh, uh, Con Air. Con Air is correct. Nice. Two nominations, including Song. Zach. Okay, I'm going out on a limb here. I think the foreign film winner that year was character. Character is correct. Two points for Zach. Yes. (laughs) Never seen it. What a stab. I like it. Um, There is one more winner out there. I'm just going to throw that, throw that little nugget your way. The the, the documentary. (laughs) I mean, I think it has to be, I don't have, I don't have that written down, but. (laughs) <laughs> see the one i have written down i don't think is correct there's a lot you could still get in this i feel like face off that's that's a better answer you going with that yeah face off is correct it got one nomination <laughs> thank Back. you cager <laughs> Um, I just don't know. I have I have some movies here. I don't know if they were 1997 movies though. Is the problem? Um, it's such a stupid time. I can't I can't think 97, 96. I don't know. Um, pick one. I'm gonna go with The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I think that was a 96 movie. The Hunchback of Notre Dame is incorrect. All right. I was thinking Disney. I don't know what other Disney movies came out that year. Well, this is before animated feature. Was well, category. I was thinking for song, though. For song? Oh, yeah. I see. I see. All right. Todd, you can keep going. Well, see, there are a few other Disney movies in that era that I don't know what year they are either. Yeah, I had one other that I was going to say, but I don't the know. The one I have written down that I don't know if it's right. I feel like it should have been nominated is Gattaca. Is that what you're going with? Yeah. Gattaca received one nomination. Wow. So like our direction? Uh, I'd have to look at... Let me look here. I'm impressed that they had the foresight to nominate Gattaca. Gattaca, art direction. You're correct, yeah. So the Disney movie... That tied you up, by the way. (laughs) Um... (laughs) We've got another category still, but... Hercules. Hercules was the Disney movie. God damn it. Stupid. That was the one I was going to go with, too. That was the other other one I was thinking. 
Um, and I know we're missing. Oh, I just thought of another one. I think we're missing more more major nominees. Yeah, I just thought of one. No, it might have been the year after. Never mind. Let's see here. There is, there are two acting nominations you don't have yet. I can I can tell you that. But you got to be quick. I don't uh, know. I mean, Austin Powers. Austin Powers is incorrect. That was the second one that got the nominations. Must have been. Zach, you said you had something. Uh, something Wag else. the dog. Wag the dog oh, was Dustin yeah. Hoffman, and one other nomination. The other, the other acting nomination didn't have was John Cusack for In and Out. Oh, everyone's favorite movie. Um, we should deep dive that. Twenty-five years. Uh, two nominations for Air Force One. Uh, two nominations for Anastasia. Uh, how about one nomination for Contact? Oh, I was thinking, what did he get nominated for? Oh, something stupid. Contact was nominated for. Let's see here. Something. Um, Sam, it's all right. What's what's the Sam. score? Um. Well, I was gonna see see if there's anything else worth mentioning. My best friend's wedding got a nomination. The what's Fifth the... Element. Documentary winner. Lost World Jurassic Park. That got a nomination. Oh. Uh, the documentary winner was The Long Way Home. The John Wayne movie from 1940? That we uh, watched? No. Oh, okay. No. okay. Or the, the, the TV show and the Truman Show? <laughs> yeah. Show me the way to go home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the score right now is 15 to 14. Todd is winning by one. He also gets to start off the, the next year where uh, 38 movies were nominated 50 years ago in 1972. Ugh. Um, so uh, let's see. Let's see how this one goes. Todd, you get to go first. The Godfather. Uh, the Godfather was nominated a lot and it won it only won three. But it was nominated a lot. So you get two points. Zach. Cabaret. Cabaret was also nominated a lot and won a lot more than The Godfather did, uh, but didn't win the big one. So Zach gets two points. Todd. Sleuth. Sleuth. Nominated a bunch. Or nominated four times. Did not win. So one point. Zach. Sounder. Sounder nominated four times, including two acting nominations. No wins. One point for Zach. The Emigrants. Damn it. The Emigrants. Four nominations. It's going to be my pick. Them, none of them winning. So that's one point. Zach. Uh, why am I blanking out on this? Um. I mean, what other 72 movies exist for the Godfather, except the Godfather and Cabaret? Was anything else even nominated? I mean, uh, boy, this is a sad showing. Um, there's another. There's a movie you guys haven't gotten that had nine nominations that year. There's one that had five. Another one that had four. Another one that had three. Was Poseidon Adventure 72? Poseidon Adventure was the one that had a bunch of nominations and had two wins. So that's two points to bring Nine it to a tie. One, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight, nine nominations and two wins for and the Poseidon Adventure. Above the, category, and above the line, right? <laughs> uh, Shelly Winters was above the line. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fat City. 
Fat City. Susan Terrell got a nomination for Fat City. That is correct. I was in my sports movies list. That's why I know it. Here it is. <laughs> All right, Zach. Um, Can you keep up? Well, the problem is that some of those foreign movies were, were weird years. Like sometimes they got nominated in consecutive years. So that's throwing me off a little bit. Um, uh, I, I, gosh, I don't know. This is tough. I want to say Cries and Whispers, but I don't think that's right. I think that was the next year. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, um, who else was nominated for Best Actress that year? I, I, I have I have no clue. I'll go with Cries and Whispers, even though I think that's wrong. It is wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, you've officially won. Do you have any others? I had uh, written down. Uh, the Malcolm X documentary. That is correct. Uh, Heartbreak Kid. That is correct. And The Cowboys, but I don't know if that's right or not. Um, I don't know if Bruce Dern might have been nominated for that. Uh, no, no one from The Cowboys. Okay. So a final score of 17 to 14. Todd wins. Uh, the other wins that you missed, uh, Butterflies Are Free. Oh, Eileen Brennan. Eileen Heckart. Heckart. Um, I think there is an Eileen Brennan somewhere. Yeah, Limelight. Yeah, Limelight. Limelight, Charlie Chaplin. The Charlie Chaplin movie. There was something weird with that though. The Garden of the Fiendsy Conti. No, that was the year before. What was the what was the foreign film winner? The foreign winner was the Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. I own that movie too. God damn. Yeah, I think both of you have seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. Marjo wasn't was a winner. I've got to see what that was for. Marjo. Oh, it was a documentary. Uh, the Candidate got a win. Uh, Travels with My Aunt got a win. And it got a nomination for Maggie Smith. Um, Peter O'Toole was nominated for The Ruling Class. Young Winston had three nominations below the line. I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, Geraldine Page had a nomination for Pete and Tilly. Well, of course she had a nomination. She had like 15 nominations. And uh, the one, the other one that had five nominations, uh, including uh, Best Actress for Diana Ross, was Lady Sings Lady the Blues. Lady Sings the Blues. Oh, okay. You also had Deliverance. All right. Well, there we go. Todd wins. He gets to host next time and assign us stuff to watch. Zach, you got to win one of these again soon. You haven't won in a while. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I haven't had a winner. It, what's the what's the Jake Lamont line? A horse, a horse. I haven't had a winner in six weeks. Yeah, that's the way I feel. All right, Todd. It's quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. You won trivia, so you get to be the first to go. What do you got? My quote comes from a hustle. It's Adam Sandler talking to... Uh, Bo Cruz, he says, your mom's not a whore. Whores get paid. She gives the fat ass out for free. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. The, and the you other line, comes down to that. That's a good line in a good movie. There was, there was, the other line I was thinking of quoting was, um, 
Oh, it was it was something like uh, like I don't play anymore. I'm old. I have I have I have uh, heart problems and eczema or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, my quote uh, comes from Saturday Night Live. So I watched um, so I watched Frida this week, and before I watched Frida, the best context I had for that movie was uh, right after it came out, Salma Hayek hosted SNL. And one of the things they did is they did these fake commercial smear campaigns on Chicago and why Frida should win Oscars over Chicago. And so I'm quoting one of those. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's uh, Salma Hayek comes on the screen and goes, Hi, I'm Salma Hayek. Can I conclusively say that there is a link between Al-Qaeda and the movie Chicago? No, I can't. But I can tell you that the movie Frida does not support terrorism. Fight terrorism, vote Frida. Paid for personally by Selma Hayek with a personal check. Nice. <laughs> I like when right. Selma Hayek was uh, Adam Sandler's wife in, in Grown Ups. That was career-defining work. There you go. There you go. And that just brings it all full circle. It does. It brings it all around. All right. Zach, wrap us up. My quote comes from my number one director or number director of my number one color movie, Krzysztof Kieslowski. And he said in traditional, you know, European uh, way, all the films I make are about the need to open up about the, the need to communicate on another level rather than just talking about the quality of wine, car prices, flat prices or the best bank deposits. To which I say, there are many things that you can talk about in life, but the best bank deposits and wine are always good things to talk about. But I guess he felt a need to go deeper. There you go. There you go. That's what she said. Yeah, I got nothing. I could go all night. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode where I think we're going to be talking about space. Thought about space. We're going to go to a galaxy far, far away and to infinity and beyond. So, uh, Adam Sandler in space. That, that, that's what we're talking about. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and catch you next week. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.